Blog Talk Radio. Hello, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Lucid Libertarian with Lorianne Show. Please be sure to tune in Sunday nights from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific Time, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, to discuss current events, news, and political opinion with Lucid Libertarian Flair. Be prepared, folks. We often go into an optional extended third hour. This show advocates for liberty, freedom, our Constitution, Bill of Rights, and limited government, while speaking against corporate and government corruption, tyranny, and the globalist Great Reset Agenda that undermines our precious American sovereignty. Discussions here are unscripted and free-flowing, so sometimes conversations wander off in unpredictable directions. Would you like to call in and share your thoughts and be part of the conversation? The number is 563-999-3698. Again, that is 563-999-3698. Then press number 1 and you'll be added to the queue. Please also like and follow my Lucid Libertarian with Lorianne page on Facebook. You can help me battle their freedom-loathing censorship by visiting my page regularly, along with reacting, commenting, and sharing my posts. Thank you so much for listening, but please sit tight and don't go anywhere. We'll be back in a few minutes to kick off the show. Imagine waking up in a trunk. What is grooming? What if I told you we had a 40% increase of human and sex trafficking in our country due to COVID lockdowns? We already had high numbers to begin with. One's Purpose is an amazing organization pounding the pavement every day, helping these survivors get help. Unfortunately, they do not have the funding they need for a safe house. In the state of Oregon, we have zero safe houses for these survivors who have endured the most heinous of crimes. The time is now to get involved. The time is now to help stop human trafficking. Please go to onespurpose.com to get involved. If you need help and if you know someone who needs to get help, please contact 541-221-3448. Make a donation. Make a difference. I am tired of the waiting I can hear the record playing But no music, just the need of Heaven knows just how I feel Cry Try And try 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 To face the river I cannot cross That's all And 
Happy Wednesday to all of you out there. You are tuned in to the Lucid Libertarian with Lorianne Show special, doing my doing a Wednesday night special, airing the uh, documentary Shadowgate 2.0 by Millennial Millie. Uh, her real name is Millie Weaver. <clears throat> and um, last week I did Shadowgate, the first one of her documentaries regarding basically election fraud and manipulation. Um, and I thought it would be a great time to air these. Um, as there's a total of three of them that I plan to air. Um, <clears throat> last week's Shadowgate. Tonight, Shadowgate 2.0, which is about an hour and a half long or so. And then next week, I plan to play her third one called Psyop the Steel, um, which is about an hour, 24 minutes long or so. And um, I know a lot of you out there have watched 2,000 Mules. And so with the release of 2,000 Mules, um, I thought it would be really good timing to play these documentaries because they're very well done. And they go into all kinds of different facets of the 2020 election and the fraud that went on and things. Um, 
she she just does a great job laying it out. And so if you want to watch these videos, I highly encourage you to do so. Uh, you can find them on BitChute. And if you look up on BitChute Millennial Millie, M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L Millie, M-I-L-L-I-E, uh, Millennial Millie, and then look up and then search for Shadowgate, you'll be able to find the first Shadowgate and then Shadowgate 2.0. And then if you search for PSYOP the Steel, also by her, or if you scroll the channel, you also should be able to find it. Um, all three are very, very good. And um, so the first one that she did, Shadowgate, I believe was in, uh, trying to remember, I think February of 2020. And then um, tonight, Shadowgate 2.0, she did this one in October of 2020. And... Um, the first installment of Shadowgate demonstrated that the shadow government consists of government contractors, defense intelligence, security, and so on. Um, and so this one goes into it even more. Um, and so it's very, it's a very interesting watch. Um, so I encourage you to watch the videos, um, but even with the information presented, Hearing it audio is still pretty compelling. Um, so if, you, if you're just um, in your car or you're just kicking back and you're just wanting something to listen to while you're doing chores or something like that, um, this will be time well spent. <laughs> and I'm actually going to sync it up and watch the video at the same time as the audio is playing here. Um, and so... I did open up the chat, so if you want to uh, chat, I got that open. And since it is only an hour and a half long, um, there's going to be plenty of time to chit-chat afterwards. So um, I encourage you to call in. I encourage you to listen. I encourage you to press 1 to raise your hand and let me know that you want to chit-chat. And if you want to do so, the number is 563 999 Three six nine eight. Again, that is five six three nine 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 three six nine eight. And then press number one to let me know that you would like to chat. And so, um, call in anytime while this live broadcast is on. But um, this clip is, you know, this documentary is about an hour and a half long. After that, definitely call in. We can chat. We can talk. Um, I have a few other clips that I could play as well, um, depending on time, depending on who's on and how the conversation's going. Um, I always have an array of shorter clips that I rarely get a chance to get to on my regular show on Sunday nights. Um, and then this Sunday, I do have a guest scheduled, um, Amber Richardson. Uh, she it, She was the one of the GOP candidates for Oregon governor. And now that it is a post-primary election, um, I invited her back to be on the show. This will be her third time. So um, definitely a good show lined up for this Sunday. And um, that for Sunday, 
I have a feeling that she and I are going to have a lot to chat about. Um, she's a real easy one to uh, have on the show for a couple hours and then like still not get done talking about everything. So, uh, But she's up to a lot of stuff, and I wanted her to come back for the post-election recap of uh, her campaign, what she plans to do next, some of her observations um, surrounding the Oregon primary election. Um and just all kinds of craziness. So, and what she's up to, uh, she's she is a woman of action. So, um, even though she did not do as well as I was hoping she would in the primaries, um, she is definitely not somebody that's just gonna, you know, throw in the towel and and give up and and never see her again. She's definitely a woman of action. That uh, she's up to a lot of different things besides this. So. I look forward to having her back on the show. And so with that, again, um, I definitely want you to call in. I definitely want to talk after this documentary ends in about an hour and a half. So call in at 563-999-3698. And we will definitely be able to talk more. So with that, I am going to go ahead and kick this off again. This is Shadowgate 2.0 by Millennial Millie. Um, Oh, and before I forget, uh, the song you heard uh, just before I came on live is by Gavin DeGraw, Face the River. Um, He just released a new album called Face the River. That's his title track. Um, It's a really great album. Um, He's dedicated it to his parents. There's... um, a lot behind it. So please, 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 Gavin DeGraw, G-A-V-I-N-D-E-G-R-A-W, Gavin DeGraw. Um, go to GavinDeGraw.com. You can also follow him on Facebook and Twitter and everywhere else. Uh, definitely, definitely subscribe to him on YouTube. Um, so that way you can listen to the, the latest songs that he's put out with this album, He's going back on tour again, and and it's kind of cool because he's going back to his roots. Um, He's playing some of the the first venues and smaller venues uh, instead of having it be a large, big thing. He's kind of going back to his roots right now and, you know, going back on tour again. And so, um, you know, he's definitely one to keep an eye out for. So far, though, I'm looking at his website right now, GavinDeGraw.com, and it looks like he is in Blue Ash, Ohio for July 4th, September 16th, Kansas State Fair in Hutchinson, Kansas. Um, That he's in Wilmington, North Carolina on November 11th. Um, I know he's having, um, he's going to be having more dates than that, but um, he's kind of taking it easy and and, um, it's been a rough couple of years for everybody. And with this album being dedicated to his parents and him kind of going back to his roots, uh, I think it's a beautiful thing. Please absolutely follow him on YouTube, listen to his music. Um, go to his website, follow him on Facebook, uh, pay attention to when he's on tour, because if he comes to your area, 
um, which I know he's doing some dates in New York and stuff too. Um, So if he's coming to your area, I really encourage you, buy a ticket, go see him. Um, He's such a phenomenal artist. I cannot say enough. Uh, He's an incredible singer, incredible musician. Um, He's the whole package. He is so much better live than he is in studio recordings too. He's one of those artists that um, he sounds great with the, you know, all techno, you know, techied out audio recordings and stuff for his albums, but he is even better live folks. He really is. Um, you won't regret it if you go see him. So, uh, please do so check out Gavin DeGraw. Um, and that's why I wanted to play his title album, title song off of his title album so that those of you listening out there can look him up and uh, check him out and buy his album or, you know, go see him live and uh, follow his stuff because um, he's just an incredible artist and I'm a huge fan. So with that, um, again, if you want to call in, 563-999-3698. And I am going to kick off Shadowgate 2.0 by Millennial Millie. You can find it on BitChute. And I encourage you to watch the videos. And once this is done, um, I will come back and hopefully we'll have a caller or two to bring on. Uh, We can talk about recent events. Um, We can talk about what's been going on here in the last, especially yesterday with the school shooting in Texas and the predictable response by Biden and others. So um, with that, we are going to kick this off and hopefully I will see you in the switchboard with your hand raised by the time we're done. (laughs) All right, here we go. Three, two, one, Shadowgate 2.0 launch. An online network called Internet. We've been talking for decades. World War III was going to be a cyber war, and everybody for the last couple decades had been saying, oh, we need to shore up our infrastructure, our power plants, our traffic signals, our hospitals, and those are all very true statements. But not a lot of attention was ever given to shoring up the hacking of mankind's shadow. When the first Shadowgate trailer was aired, a little-known anonymizer project called Ion 2 was scrapped. The first installment of Shadowgate demonstrated that the shadow government consists of government contractors, defense, intelligence, security, and so on. 
On the day of Shadowgate's release, a well-planned, targeted smear campaign by media outlets and social media influencers was launched to distract away from the subtle panic the military-industrial complex was going through in the background. While everyone was distracted by my bizarre arrest and the mainstream media's hit pieces on the whistleblowers and myself, people didn't notice that the military-industrial complex themselves started pulling pages off their websites in a mad panic. The movie was actually about, you know, Dynology, Jones Group International. These people are pulling their websites down. You got the military-industrial complex shutting down for a day. It was like amazing you know everybody's pulling their websites and stuff the web pages of Dynology Jones Group International Clearforce were removed modified and changed in what appears to be a cover-up the day the trailer for Shadowgate 2.0 was launched where Patrick revealed he was blowing the whistle on Leone a military industrial complex psyops contractor then Leone subsequently pulled pages from their website but why? What was so dangerous about Shadowgate and our whistleblowers that the documentary created such commotion and chaos? That is the subject matter for this documentary. news, yellow journalism, and propaganda have been around for a long time. The term fake news previously was associated with video news releases, advertisements made to look like news. There aren't many kids who will pass up a chance to play video games. And when the holidays roll around, most kids start wishing for more. But it turns out this sort of activity might actually be good for your child. Too often, it's hard to tell just by looking at the package which choice is better for you. As customers walk the aisles, they'll soon see the Great For You label. You just choose one of our professional newsreaders and one of these highly impressive virtual news studios. Then send us your news stories together with your logo and any supporting images and we will do the rest. Now, fake news has evolved into political spin. Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey announcing plans to ban all political ads. Deceptive reporting and smear campaigns. When it was realized that then-candidate President Trump was likely to win the 2016 election, this new twist on fake news needed a boost. The Smith-Munt Modernization Act of 2012 allowed for U.S. citizens to be targets of propaganda. This opened the door for social media psychological operations to be used domestically within the U.S. However, IIA, or Interactive Internet Activities, the military nomenclature for social media influence operations, still wasn't legal to use domestically, but non-attribution techniques made it possible with little or no detection. 
with these propaganda acts that allow propaganda like the Smith-Munt Act. I mean, do you find that this timing was actually the military-industrial complex trying to regain control? Absolutely. Why did we make NPR? Why did Congress make NPR? Why did Congress make the Corporation for Public Broadcasting? They made it because they knew there was a potential back with television and radio that either corporations or our government could maliciously use these technologies to do bad things to America. So we made these nonprofit organizations to hopefully provide some sort of a bumper, although those have been abused at this point as well. Why does this keep happening, Mrs. McGrady? Well, racism is like a disease. If you don't treat it, it's just going to get worse. You've got the Smith-Munt Act in 2012, which helped what was called provide IIA the keys to the kingdom. That was what we wanted, the keys to the kingdom, because it was such a problem for us. How do you disseminate information on a chat room with a bunch of Iraqis who are sitting in Iraq, but that chat room's on a server somewhere in the United States? How do you do that without violating American law? And plus, how do you do that with ensuring that an American's not going to see that post later on, which does not have attribution for it potentially, right, and be influenced by it because that's illegal? Well, everyone, good afternoon. Uh, on behalf of uh, Fred Kemp, our president, and the entire Atlantic Council family, dedicated or focused on countering propaganda and disinformation act. And no, it doesn't have anything to do with this year's presidential campaign. <laughs> yeah, when uh, John Huntsman came out back in March or so of 2016, trying to promote the Disinformation and Propaganda Act, focused on Russia. In the middle of the night of 2016, they come out with the Disinformation and Propaganda Act. It's a massively, uh, was $180 million government program that's funding nothing more than the Atlantic Council. It funds social justice NGO programs to determine whether or not something's fake news. If you look closely at the writing of the act, under Section 2, Sense of Congress, it states the United States government should develop a comprehensive strategy to counter foreign disinformation and propaganda and assert leadership in developing a fact-based strategic narrative. And an important element of this strategy should be to protect a free, healthy, and independent press in countries vulnerable to foreign disinformation. There's only one problem. The act makes no mention of domestic propaganda and disinformation. One could argue that this act was done to prevent Russian interference in the elections. However, if sophisticated non-attribution and misattribution technology is used to make domestic propaganda and disinformation appear as though it is foreign, then these two acts together actually made domestic propaganda and disinformation legal, opening the door to sway elections and go after political dissidents in the name of protecting a free, healthy, and independent press. They say, well, we're stopping propaganda. We're going to stop this fake news. Who's going to stop the fake news and the propaganda? The government and the politicians? They're the ones who propagate all this. They're the worst uh, producers of fake news. And they're going to be in charge of watching us. 
since the 2016 election. The use of domestic propaganda and disinformation through the dissemination of fake news on both sides of the political aisle has escalated to the point of nearly destroying our First Amendment, the Constitution, and the social fabric of our country. I think you get the idea there, what's going on. All these anchors and all these markets are required to read this script. Really what it's doing, it's kind of like the Fox Fair and Balance slogan. Uh, it's a way of saying, we're fair, everybody else is biased. We're fair, everybody else is biased. Russian hacking and meddling in the presidential election. That there was Russian meddling. That Russia meddled. The Russian meddling. Russia's meddling. Russia was meddling. Russian meddling. meddling. presidential election. The only thing that can stop this is the full and complete exposure of the fake news industrial complex. Patrick Berge, a decorated veteran of both the Iraq and Afghanistan wars, has come forward as a whistleblower. In Shadowgate, he exposed Dynology and Clearforce for their abuse of power. Dynology, which developed a classified tactical psychological operations management tool through government contracts, commercialized it and made it publicly available as the ShadowNet, a military-grade psyops tool that used Jungian psychology as a weapon hence the use of one's own shadow against them. Ironically, the whistleblowers, the producers of the Shadowgate documentary, and myself came under such an attack. There is a viral, you know, I don't know if you want to call it a YouTube video or whatever, it's not a documentary, that was produced uh, called Shadowgate. I don't know what's going on, but like they're not in touch with reality. Had I known how demonic this thing was going to be, I would have watched it immediately and dissected it immediately. I feel really bad. I feel like I could have stopped this thing from going viral. My task I want to do, and I go shopping for money from billionaires. And a lot of times these billionaires give me money to go do what I want to do to find out information. They call me the hammer sometimes. And you're about to find out why. Did Ali plays behind the curtain? Okay? Let me go in. Do what I do, clean it up really quickly, and um, bada bing bada boom. I'm not going to embarrass anybody who's distanced themselves from them, but trust me, they don't got anyone on their side. I will call up some friends to dust off some accounts from the great meme war, and we'll see. We'll see who the OG is. This weapon uses a target's fear, imperfections, personal tragedies, past mistakes, anything embarrassing or defamatory. It is to first discredit, distract, and demoralize them, ultimately dividing them from their support to destroy their morale. As a psychological weapon of war, it is extremely effective against the enemy. As a commercialized product, it is extremely effective against a political opponent. To better understand all of the commotion, we begin our story with the war in Iraq. These are opening stages of what will be a broad and concerted campaign. This is the second floor of the 
آپ آپ ہے
Was BKSH and Associates a subcontractor? Yeah, they were a subcontractor actually of the Lincoln Group. And who do you have with BKSH, right? You have many of the same players. John McCain says we're fighting in Iraq to plant the seeds of democracy. But the firm of his chief political advisor, Charlie Black, made millions lobbying for the world's worst tyrants. At the same time that BKSH and Lincoln Group are building up these IIA contracts in Iraq, uh, you've got others like Leone, like Jones Group, um, like MPRI, like L3, like GDIT, General Dynamics uh, IT, all of these people vying for hundreds of millions of dollars in literally IIA contracts. How did that become interactive internet activities? Well, I think they wanted to really get away from uh, some of the dust up. I mean, several hundred million dollars in contracts were lost at that time in 2005. In fact, just a couple months after this first came out, this lady, um, May Shidiak, was almost killed in a car run. I uh, heard a blast. I felt it at the same time. I was still awake. I uh, saw like a uh, black uh, snow falling over me. Against all odds, though, she survived. And actually, two other journalists at that time did die in Harvans as well. Why are journalists dying over there? Well, I'm thinking, in order for the SIAP community to be able to properly disseminate a narrative or a message, they have to be able to bring journalists in and, and control journalism as well to avoid some of the deconfliction. What happens if they can't control a journalist? Maybe you end up getting blown up. The burned wreck of Daphne Caruana Galicia's car lies in a Maltese field, flung over a wall by an explosion which killed the crusading journalist. How far are you separating a journalist from a spy when a state, a government, is paying that journalist to do something. Russia's FSB security service has arrested a senior Ukrainian journalist for spying. Iran says Roxana Sabiri is an American spy. Her father says she's a journalist just trying to do her job and he demands her release. There's a fine line between being a journalist and being a spy. In 2008, contracts in the hundreds of millions of dollars were awarded to Leone Industries for influence operations, public relations, and psychological operations similar to the Lincoln Project. This is an interesting predicament here. Hey, don't worry, we got flipped off driving down through here the other day, too. Yeah, there's some dust for you. So I worked for Leone from January 2010 to around April. They had said that they had overspent, bringing like a financial shortfall, so they needed to save money. But they did it because they had mentioned something like $4 million that they had spent on other properties in Iraq, and the contract now required something else. See, they had brought us all in and had a meeting with everybody when this happened. Instead, every, everybody that was on the team brought us all into the room and said, hey, we got this problem. And I remember it being in the millions of dollars. I remember the equipment that I ordered, equipment specific to applications and stuff that were 
predetermined to be necessary for this mission were changed by the HR department. Some woman in the HR department had the ability to modify all the equipment that I had ordered into something completely different. And by the way, not compatible with any of the stuff we were using. It ended up bringing like a financial shortfall. So they needed to save money. Um, one of the ways that they did that was having me secure a classified network with a Linksys home Wi-Fi. And I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do it. So good luck to you on that. That's what I had gone to them about saying, are you freaking people kidding me? And I'm the information insurance security officer. I'm the guy who's supposed to sign off on that. Not going to happen. There was just a lot of stuff going on, so much so that I, like I said, I had sent an email to my former IIA chief asking him what he thought I should do. They just ran a really bad operation. I left, uh, I resigned in disgust. Information that we were protecting got out. Absolutely, people would die. But then I found out just recently, the owners, uh, Camille Shidiak and I believe Rima DuPont, owed like $4 million in back taxes. It was an article by USA Today, two journalists, that exposed that, resulted in Camille Shidiak attacking those journalists using fake personas, using fake websites, using it using IIA and I would add a third party investigation also determined they used highly advanced uh, anonymity so are we talking highly advanced anonymity like you would get through Intrepid that has the ability to do not only attribution non-attribution and misattribution Camille Shidiak had said he didn't use government computers right he didn't use government resources to attack those journalists attack them I would add in the exact same fashion that you were attacked by USA Today, right? So USA Today is an IIA victim. Shadowgate comes out. Then USA Today attacks you. They attack you for trying to report about IIA when they themselves apparently claim that they were victims of IIA themselves. You know, people attack us instead of actually looking into the things that we brought up Camille Shidiak, co-owner of Leone Industries, a Pentagon contractor, has admitted to criminally targeting journalists for reporting on a failed Pentagon propaganda operation. Shidiak used dirty tricks reminiscent of the FBI's COINTELPRO tactics to target the journalists. But Leone's co-owner created a batch of fake websites, social media accounts, and a fraudulent Wikipedia page in an effort to smear the journalists. So let me get this straight. What you're saying is that Leone, the private contractor company that you worked for, misappropriated contract funds. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, the owners of Leone owed all of this money and back property taxes for their big mansion, mm -hmm. their privately owned home. Hollywood homes. Yeah. So this money somehow doesn't go toward secure systems that would protect the safety of American troops in dangerous territories. Mm -hmm. Instead, that money goes towards potentially home taxes or whatever. Mm -hmm. And yet these troops are now vulnerable because they're securing their locations mm -hmm. with Linksys Wi-Fi routers. The vulnerabilities that you have on a $67 Linksys home Wi-Fi I can break that with a Pringles can from a half a mile away. This is all you need to hack into the confidential business files of many of the city's top companies and finance houses. 
a laptop and an aerial built into a crisp can will do the job. At the moment, most business computers talk to each other through a network of cables, but increasingly companies are installing cheaper wireless systems which use radio signals. Hackers can pick up any stray signals and access the secret information. And we're, in the, we're sitting here on a base built for contractors by contractors called GB or Green Village, right just a few miles from Kabul International Airport, KIA. It would be very easy to be able to access that information from the outside if you did. And in fact, not long ago, a few years ago, a big truck bomb took that whole place out. One of the interesting things that we found out just from looking at research, like right after you left and decided I'm out, I'm not doing this, we saw that these were some of the highest mortality death rates mm. with our troops. Mm. So we could then ask, I mean, how likely is it that these troops died because mm. of this misappropriation of funds? I can do you one better. How likely is it that when we left Iraq and General James Jones, retired four-star general, through his company, took the capabilities that we had developed, which ended up becoming ShadowNet and made commercially available. When we left Iraq and took those with us, leaving the Force Psychological Operations Group completely empty-handed, if we had the ability to still sit there, communicate, to understand what was going on on the battlefield, and to be able to communicate our message. But I do remember them trying to get us to stay. This is how the Awakening Councils, or Sahwa fighters, took up arms against Al-Qaeda late 2006 and the beginning of 2007, with the support and the backing of the American forces. They can be credited for contributing to the reduction of violence across the country. And keep in mind that what we did was help talk kids out of actually blowing themselves up before they do it, right? The children love to come and study, and we have elders here as well, because during the Civil War they couldn't study, and now the opportunity is here so they can come and learn. How many people actually died? How many of our troops died because some kids strapped on a bomb that wouldn't have otherwise strapped on a bomb. But I would argue even more, would we even have ISIS? Would ISIS have taken over after we left? How many people died from that? You can't put a number on it, but you can certainly use your common sense and understand that people probably did. Without the help and support of the Awakening Councils, an armed group like Al-Qaeda still has the power to control towns and cities once again. Abu Hudayfa, a local Sahwa leader, says his house was destroyed recently by Al-Qaeda members. He warns that the withdrawal of U.S. troops will leave his fighters at the mercy of Al-Qaeda. The Sunni militia, the Sahwa, have been on the front lines. Sheikh Abu Salim, here in the black leather jacket, has led that fight in Samara, in the north of the country. But 20 days later, while the Sheikh was in Baghdad, the militants returned in strength and took their revenge on his family. Why is it you think that ISIS and Al-Qaeda have come back? After the Americans withdrew, we were neglected by the government, and Al-Qaeda became strong again. I have a letter from uh, the IIA chief back in 2010, just before I had submitted my letter of resignation to Leone. The IIA chief made it very clear. He's like, listen, this is how it works. You know, the, the government, the, the military just lets 
contractors control everything. Because when that IIA chief, who's like a, maybe a major now, leaves the Army, he's going to submit a resume to Leone, to Dynology, to Angility, right? And these people are going to pay them, uh, you know, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars salaries, where they were making sixty or eighty thousand. Like he says in that letter, you know, if you turn against them, you're done in the business, right? So, don't turn against them. Just do the limit of what you're supposed to report. We'll get this worked out later. But everybody's just covering their ass at taxpayer expense. You gotta love that one. We need very badly to understand that defense spending is very important and vital, particularly in the new challenges we face in the world. When I came back from the Iraq contract in 2008, the day of the debate between uh, McCain and Obama, Dynology was doing John McCain's IT security and social and everything, but also um, also just like all sorts of security, right? So from blocking, from eavesdropping, everything. There were financial, filed with the Federal Election Commission of several hundred thousand dollars to Dynology. Now, after McCain won the primary, then the RNC came in, pushed Dynology aside, and replaced them with Manafort. FEC filings indicate Manafort comes on as the prime and then Dynology comes on as a sub. That makes sense because 3EDC actually shows on their website, if you go back to the Wayback Machine, they list Dynology as their number one partner at that time. And a New York Times article said that 3EDC, the company owned by Paul Manafort, didn't actually have any products, right? In Dynology, we had these products, but we didn't actually have salespeople. So at the same time I'm making the ShadowNet flyers, I'm kind of actually wondering, well, who are these flyers for? But I never knew. Kind of thinking maybe they were for Paul Manafort. While collecting documentation to verify Patrick Berge's claims about Dynology and 3EDC being involved in John McCain's 2008 campaign, we found something very disturbing. If you look at Berge's original FEC complaint about disbursements from McCain's 2008 campaign to Dynology and 3EDC, the link to the page referenced no longer exists. However, you can still find it on archive.org. But if you look at the pages that are currently available on the FEC's website, the dollar figures are significantly different, showing smaller figures dispersed to Dynology and greater figures dispersed to 3EDC. This suggests that sometime after Berge's FEC complaint and the release of Shadowgate, the FEC's own website was tampered with, altering the financial relationship between Dynology, 3EDC, and McCain's 2008 campaign. This appears to be illegal tampering with FEC official records and reeks of electronic manipulation of official public records. Both McCain and Obama's campaigns were riddled with alleged hacks, social media manipulation tactics, record-breaking fundraising, and allegations of fraud. In 2008, the Democratic National Committee sued the Federal Election Commission for failing its obligation to investigate John McCain's campaign finances. In 2011, the FEC launched an investigation into the financial records of Obama's 2008 campaign. 
In 2013, the FEC fined McCain's 2008 campaign $80,000 for exceeding campaign donation limits and not reporting all contributions. In 2013, the FEC fined Obama's campaign $375,000, the largest ever for also exceeding campaign donation limits and not reporting all contributions. With Davis and Manafort's 3EDC and Jones's Dynology involved in McCain's campaign, and with General Jones himself being appointed Obama's national security advisor, the bipartisan nature of the military-industrial complex influence over U.S. elections was never more transparent. Senator McCain knows me very well. Uh, I worked with Senator McCain when he was a captain. I've known him for many, many years. And with these new revelations, one thing is clear. This same syndicate of corruption is behind the coup against President Trump. Now, it kind of sounds like maybe General Jones was doing some double-crossing. Because how odd is it to then nominate the person that was running your competitor's campaign Okay. Their IT security. Exactly. In that same conversation that I had with Jim, he had mentioned kind of snarkily that uh, McCain's email had gotten hacked after we had left. And he's like, that probably wouldn't have happened if we'd kept doing it. I didn't think about it at the time, but I know that both McCain and Obama's emails were hacked back in 2008 and Jim did make a point of mentioning that that it was after Dynology or replaced by 3EDC. In a similar way, Tory claimed to have moved passport data of Obama, Clinton and McCain off of a State Department server during the 2008 elections under the direction of John Brennan while she worked at Analysis Corporation and CGI. Now uh, in the case of Senator McCain, we detected uh, earlier this year one of the same people uh, who accessed Senator Obama's passport file also accessed Senator McCain's passport file. What would be the point of that? What were they trying to hide? Well, if I removed it, that means someone else was there to replace it. There seems to be a common theme here. IT moving data from one server to another under the guise of an alleged hack, when in reality, it's for damage control and blackmail. In the battle for power, democracy has a new front line. It's an online information war, where often unseen hands harvest your personal data, tapping into your hopes and fears for the greatest political yield. We are not only the the largest and most significant political consultancy in the world. We're used to, to operating through different vehicles in the shadows. Prepared, it seems, to ruin their clients' opponents through handouts and honey traps. Millie, you don't have any sources. It shouldn't be a big surprise that one of the biggest political operatives running disinformation and hit pieces about Shadowgate, our whistleblowers, producers, and myself, is a former McCain 2008 social media operative. I did do some work for the John McCain campaign. 
Um, but and the 2008 convention. And Ali Akbar, a member of the Republican National Convention floor operations team. Well, as a party, we stand unified behind uh, John McCain. Your film alleges that Roger Stone is connected to Cambridge Analytica. I pointed out that that's not true and it can't be true and that I have primary knowledge of that. Shadowgate revealed that Cambridge Analytica was a honeypot trap for President Trump to create the false appearance his campaign used Russian military-grade social media tactics to win the 2016 election, using misattribution technology to create the false appearance. It was so blatant because it was piloted at the same time that the RNC and the DNC were hacked. It was all formulated correctly. I have said to you, it's all coming out, and the question is how. I didn't conspire to leak Hillary's emails, and I have nothing <clears throat> to do with Russia. So, yes. the fact is, <clears throat> it looks like I did both. Does it look like you did both? If I wasn't me, I would say yes, that's what it looks like. <laughs> they were supposed to sway him, because they were supposed to give up the goods to match the Russia hack. Why would they be running an IA operation that would be helping Trump win? Because then we just make it look like Russia was running the Cambridge Analytica program too. And it admits to it right here. I am headed to Washington, D.C. for my testimony for the Mueller investigation. I definitely didn't think that while we're sitting there counting votes that some of those votes were made by people who had seen fake news stories paid for by Russia on their Facebook page. Yeah, I worked at Cambridge Analytica while they had Facebook data sets. Went to Russia one time while I worked for Cambridge. I visited Julian Assange while I worked for Cambridge. Pitched the Trump campaign and wrote the first contract. I have an email from one of our senior data scientists that said that we were actually using Facebook-like data in our modeling. The methodology was considered a weapon, um, weapons-grade communications tactics. Well done, Britt. Looked quite tough, and you did okay with a winky face, little emoji. Since their whole attempt to have him employ a company to help him win, and use these psychological operations that the left was using. I mean, they're doing it, we should do it, and he didn't. And that's in the Mueller report. That's in the New York Times. There are several instances where he's rejected the opportunity to take advantage of influence, of, of influence operations, be it IIA-supported or just your standard run-of-the-mill influence operations. I'm more connected to Cambridge Analytica. Cambridge Analytica is a company that Bob Mercer owns. Bob Mercer has given me money in the past to conduct um, you know, certain political operations. So it's no surprise that this same political operative has been on the financial receiving end by the former owner of Cambridge Analytica. You called me an IIA asset, which no, nobody's ever pointed out what an IIA asset is. You made up a term. You made up a term. Nobody's ever pointed out what an IIA asset is. You made up a term so that people would cling on to it. You're a very nasty woman.
What is the Lincoln Project? I looked at that and I'm like, okay, this is just an IA operation. George Conway is the, the founder, one of the founders of the Lincoln Project. But as soon as I scrolled down below his name, everybody on there were like former McCain campaign people, McCain analysts, all these people from McCain in 08. The Lincoln Project and John Kasich, they've become faces kind of of the never-Trump movement. And according to the Washington Post, the Lincoln Project pledges to support a Biden presidency and actively work against Republicans who oppose the former vice president. If you look at the, the Republicans that they've been affiliated with in the past, folks like John McCain, John Kasich, John Huntsman. You have these connections to John McCain's campaign. When I say campaign, like the 2008 campaign. You have John Huntsman, who was in from 2014 to like... 2017, 2018, the chairman of the board of Atlantic Council. He actually endorsed the McCain campaign back in 2008. General Jones, my boss uh, and owner of Dynology, they were providing the IT support for John McCain's campaign. So you have all of these people tied together, organized, tactical, psychological operations being committed upon President Trump, along with McChrystal. So you got McChrystal, who's more like a, a Democrat. You've got General Jones, who's a Democrat. You've got all of these people that have taken these tools that were developed by the Department of Defense and using them to attack one individual. They are, in a very organized, tactical fashion, attacking our president. Think about the implications that Dynology and Anonymizer have since commercialized these weapons of war into products available to anyone who can afford them. We did a lot of work with this company called Anonymizer. Anonymizer, they helped provide some anonymity for us. We had built out a, a network called Ion, which you would actually think would be like a classified thing. But then I look online just recently, and I saw that that company had taken the Ion network, which was Dynologies. We had actually developed that and such. But they've taken that proxy, non-attribution, even misattribution capability, and made it available commercially. What is ION? So ION was basically a non-attributional network. It helped uh, provide the anonymity, uh, non-attribution, misattribution capabilities. If I'm representing myself as someone who's living in Baghdad and I'm in a chat room or something where the admin of that chat room can look at my IP and say, oh, he's in Virginia, you know, he's going to say, okay, what's up with this? It's the same way that hackers, they can make it look like a hack came mm -hmm. from China or came from yeah. some other, or even from Russia, right? Yeah. By making it look like the IP address was from that region when anyone could have done it from anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. I can make it look like I'm coming from I'm anyone coming from anywhere. I've had these capabilities tested out with all the different agencies, so I know they're pretty solid, and it's always changing. There are literally organizations out there that build these capabilities. Taxpayer pays them to build these technologies and build these capabilities, and then they turn around and they license them for commercial Availability. These technologies were demonstrated to exceed the U.S. intelligence community's ability to pinpoint their source of origin. The ability to undermine U.S. national security and the interests of the American people is staggering. It just seems so wrong that all of these military weapons that were developed with taxpayer dollars were somehow able to be put into the private sector so all these private corporations could profit off them and use them on Americans. 
Yeah. How does that happen? Well, and, and then how does that impact uh, national security? Because the government hires these companies to develop non-attribution, misattribution, proxies, so that we can not be seen. And then they sell them to presumably people who we could be trying to watch, right? So it's making our job even harder. We're building these and then we're turning around and selling them to our adversaries. How does that work? And then what, are we going to come back to them and make them something that has even better anonymity? Because now these guys are, I mean, come on. Well, this just sounds like the MO of the military-industrial complex, doesn't it? How did anyone from the 17 intelligence agencies determine that Russia hacked or interfered with the election through social media influences when these non-attribution and misattribution technologies could make it appear Russian just as easy since Russia has similar capabilities and wouldn't be so stupid as to leave attribution election meddling pointing directly at themselves just like with a tangible real-life murder or crime scene there are hallmarks and tracers that go along with digital attacks. There is a bipartisan commission that has agreed largely that all of these point back to not just Russia, but the GRU. And when we take the, the MO and this hybrid warfare, which is kinetic attacks with psychological attacks with digital infiltration or what we call hacking, we have a pretty good indication that Russia was responsible for the U.S. election meddling or interference and in this hybrid war. The hybrid comes from using cyber to infiltrate and attack systems and then using social media to fracture and fragment uh, uh, democratic supporters and, and those who live within the democratic institutions. With the modification to the Smith-Munt Act of 2012 and the Foreign Propaganda and Disinformation Act of 2016, Dynology Anonymizer, now intrepid, could technically interfere in the election. U.S. intelligence officials are warning of a new election interference threat, and it's coming from the same source. On behalf of politicians of their choosing, by masking domestic propaganda and disinformation as foreign. Multiple sources tell CBS News that intelligence officials warned lawmakers and the White House that Russians are continuing their efforts to interfere in the 2020 election. In Emma Brandt's Pentagon Jiu-Jitsu, Reshaping the Field of Propaganda, she writes about the struggles between 2005 and 2009 when planners sought to alter foreign and domestic audience targeting norms. Let's talk about Pentagon Jiu-Jitsu. Mm -hmm. What is the academic significance of that paper? The moment I read it, I was like, wow, this person knows exactly what's going on. So we started to see, you know, them doing these big data projects for the military and so on. And it, it started to change the, um, the, the kind of target audience analysis, how those uh, groups were being profiled by the military, then was being taken out and deployed in elections. These firms are um, working in multiple domains. You have commercial um, data use, you have um, uh, military data use, and you have political data use in the same company. And we have no regulation over what is happening in the United States. They knew all the acronyms. They actually knew what IIA was. Oh, my God. Somebody actually referenced 
the military nomenclature for everything everybody's been talking about the last five years. I found it interesting that she was trying to show people that there was a war that was going on between the PSYOP community and the public affairs, the PAO. Policies were brought in to coordinate and overcome discordance in foreign domestic messaging by psychological operations and information operations personnel. Rhythms that would allow us to deconflict and coordinate and ensure that we weren't committing information fratricide. Practices became ultimately coordinated to ensure messages would not contradict and to maintain strategic control of messages for different audiences. Legislation was amended in 2012 to allow public diplomacy propaganda previously restricted domestically to be disseminated within the United States. Covert PSYOP messages were increasingly entering the domestic media. Protection of independent journalism and oversight of private contractors wielding algorithmic warfare have never been more important. Notice Bryant makes a clear distinction between independent journalism and private contractors wielding algorithmic warfare. Amid concern over fake news, as Mirad actors grapple to dominate amid complex informational threats, Audiences lose autonomy in their legitimate claim over this space as vulnerabilities are exploited. Whether domestic or foreign, when seen as information terrain or operational battle space, people are not sufficiently considered as also actors holding equity in the information environment of their own minds. Let me repeat. People are not sufficiently considered as holding equity in the information environment of their own mind. Let's call the PAO journalists. Because if you're an American and you're a journalist and you're working for the PAO and you then leave there and go to work for someone else, like let's say USA Today later on, and you were paid to write articles for the PAO in the military, or let's say you're in the Navy. Let's say you work for a public affairs office in the Navy. And let's say you're paid to do a certain narrative or put a certain story out. And then you leave that job. Can you be trusted having been paid to disseminate a narrative before? by the Defense Department to be sitting in that chair telling people what they're supposed to be trusted to believe. So when the PAO pays someone overseas to disseminate a narrative and that person comes back and goes to work. What we're defending is the people's right to know. As a journalist in the U.S., how do you know? Their trust has been destroyed. That was the argument Emma was trying to make in that. That was the argument that the PAO, the Public Affairs Office, that was the, the debate they were having with the PSYOP. If you are damaging the credibility of our establishment, then you are endangering First Amendment protections. You're endangering the freedom of the press. You're damaging the Constitution. If we continue to accept or even participate in the use of military-grade PSYOPs by mainstream media, social media influencers, and bloggers alike, in order to control the narrative and counter-narrative, we risk not only losing a free, healthy, and independent press, but we risk losing our minds. Do you have any people being paid by the CIA who are contributing 
to a major circulation American journal. We do have people who submit pieces to other to American journals. Do you have any people paid by the CIA who are working for television networks? This, I think, gets into the kind of uh, getting into the details, Mr. Chairman, that I'd like to get into in executive session. Mainstream media, or legacy media, has a long history of intelligence operatives and their prodigy running the news. Mika Brzezinski, her father is, the, you know, the father of influence operations and psychological warfare. A towering figure in American foreign policy, an extended member of the NBC News family as well. The big Nev Brzezinski. Dylan Turner, Fox News host, was also vice president of Jones Group International, doing an interview with her old boss and my old boss. Chris Wallace's father, Mike Wallace, was a Navy communications officer. I'm Mike Wallace. My name is Mike Wallace. I'm Mike Wallace. I'm Mike Wallace. You've said that you could do a better job at negotiating an arms control agreement with the Soviets than some of these professionals who've been trying to do it for years. I didn't say me, Mike. I said somebody has to do it. If it were me, that'd be fine. I could do it. You... Somebody has to help this country. And if they don't, the country and the world are in big trouble. Anderson Cooper interned with the CIA. Hey, Anderson, we had a great interview last time. I was wondering if you get a chance to look into Operation Mockingbird? I, you know what that is. You're talking about something what, from the 1950s, dude? 1970s official declassified program how the CIA infiltrated the mainstream media from the higher up. <laughs> right. It's declassified. I read about it in college, yes, I do. Nice. The View is a classic example of IIA, having so-called Republican never-Trumpers on a liberal-based program. Like Megan McCain, the daughter of John McCain, whose 2008 campaign is connected to nearly everyone involved in the coup against President Trump. We are back with a man who needs absolutely no introduction. Joe Biden himself is here. <laughs> you may remember when you were a little kid, your dad took care of my bull. And Abby Huntsman, the daughter of John Huntsman Jr., who was instrumental in the Countering Foreign Propaganda and Disinformation Act of 2016. Please welcome live from Russia, mm -hmm. Abby's dad <laughs> and serious? U.S. ambassador <laughs> Russia, John Huntsman. There they are. And However, influence operations are strong within alternative media as well. How many IIA assets are you aware of? are in social media as influencers? Just doing the math on what I knew for a fact in ways that I cannot always, in ways that I can't extrapolate any further on. But if I expanded that out logically to different countries, you're talking like in the thousands. In a report I did titled Exclusive Deep Inside a Leftist Troll Farm, it has now become apparent that I was reporting on an IIA operation. I just didn't realize it at the time. We were able to watch this troll farm in action. Our undercover also gained access to detailed instructions about meme generation and content to troll. We discovered these trolls were posing as right-wing extremists spreading anti-Semitic sentiment, while at the same time playing the side of the left. 
essentially acting as sock puppet A and sock puppet B, aimed at controlling both sides of political discourse. What at first appeared to be mere trolling, promoting a particular political platform, turned out to be a more serious operation engaged in deception and political subterfuge. So discord within Trump's base. Sock puppet A to push narrative that Trump will drain the Israel swamp. Sock puppet B to push narrative that Trump is an ally to Israel. Color the website as hateful by pushing over-the-top racist and divisive posts that make no real contribution. Flood alt-right Twitter sphere with praise for Andrew Yang until the disclosure as a show of power. When we infiltrated Yang Gang, the operation had to move to the Groypers carrying the whole thing. Let's not forget, Oliver Darcy started tweeting exact talking points walk and step on time with the Yang 2020 Discord instructions. What's scary is that a new argument could be made regarding this particular IIA operation, which involved useful idiots in both far-left and far-right extreme groups used to push Yang 2020 through memes. What's the difference between a knowing asset and an unknowing asset? You're going to want to have the least amount of people that know what's going on, the better. And in fact, if you're running, a, if it's a government operation and it's classified, you're not going to be able to tell someone because it was classified. Actually, you'll find that most people don't really know any of what's going on above them, or if they know anything, it's only a very small amount. Few people like myself and Jones or somebody who absolutely have to be involved in creating it um, are going to have the understanding of all of these things. If you're doing it, okay, I get it. Everybody's kind of doing it at one point. If all the Democrats are doing it, how are Republicans supposed to win if they don't do it? So at this point, you got everybody. Who cares who started it, right? Everybody's doing it. But it's getting really bad because they've lost all empathy. They've lost all understanding of humanity. They're starting riots in the streets. They're journalists running in and getting themselves arrested. They're actually becoming the news to create the news, to, to generate more clicks. Useful idiots pushing fake news stories generated from, let's say, Chan boards or fake news websites or bogus blogs could serve as the case in point for government regulation of free speech and journalism. This could destroy the First Amendment through a synthetic fake news problem, giving the government a new tool for targeting political dissent. In other words, weaponizing censorship. Sound familiar? Do you think it's pointless to out all the IIA assets? Um, it's like a game of whack-a-mole. You take one out, just be replaced by another. They're a dime a dozen. So we, you need to take them out. You need to take the funding source out. Let's not forget who's working with Facebook to target fake news in the name of preserving the integrity of elections. General Jones was uh, tapped as um, the chairman of the Board of Atlantic Council by to replace Huntsman, John Huntsman. One of the first orders of business that uh, he did with the Atlanta Council was to create a partnership 
with Facebook. Facebook partners with General Jones at the Atlantic Council to restore election integrity worldwide, right? So the best out of 7 billion people on the planet, Mark Zuckerberg picks the owner of the shadow net. How did anyone ever determine that the Russians hacked the DNC server? Oh yeah, we're supposed to believe that the Russians left breadcrumbs out there so that the 17 intelligence agencies could determine it. 17, 17 intelligence agencies, civilian and military, who have all concluded that these espionage attacks, these cyber attacks, come from the highest levels of the Kremlin, and they are designed to influence our election. This turned out to be false, and the mainstream media had to issue retractions and fire people, remember? As you know, the IC was a coordinated product from three agencies, CIA, NSA, and the FBI, not all 17 components of the intelligence community. We're going to speak to Chris Slow, the Chief Technology Officer at Reddit, and then we're going to go to Renee DeResta at the Stanford Internet Observatory. We'll talk on the phone with John at the Oxford Internet Institute, and then Jeremy Blackburn at the iDrama Lab. It's a group of scientists and academics that use math and science to try to detect this stuff. Okay, so this guy went into depth to find out. Is there some type of large-scale, coordinated, inauthentic activity on Reddit? Is that a thing? Yes, absolutely. Jeremy and the iDrama Lab team were able to create a report with fascinating implications. This yellow line is what we're interested in because it's Russian troll activity on Reddit. The troll activity seems to slow down for a while, and then when the moment is right, in this case right before the 2016 election, a percentage of these accounts surge into action and try to influence society. However, if you actually read the academic paper, Who Let the Trolls Out, it says, although the exact methodology used to determine that these accounts were state-sponsored trolls is unknown, based on the most recent Department of Justice indictment. Wait a minute, but then how does this paper go on to make any claims about who was running these troll farms? The data set appears to have been constructed in a manner that we can assume essentially no false positives, while we cannot make any postulations about false negatives. Say what? In other words, because non-attribution and misattribution technology, these trolls could have been coming out of Virginia, where Dynology is, where Clearforce is, and where the 91st Cyber Brigade of the National Guard deployed the ShadowNet last year. Furthermore, if you look at who has funded this academic paper, it says this project has received funding from the European Union's Horizon 2020 Research and Innovation, which is the European Union 2020 flagship initiative aimed at securing Europe's global competitiveness. Hmm, I wonder which presidential candidate in 2016 was pro-EU. That's why we are discussing possible negotiations with the European Union. In any case, we need to work with US, we need to engage, uh, probably under the new administration, under the new administration, because we know that uh, uh, Trump administration is unfortunately supporting this unilateral action. However, if we consider the very likely scenario that these trolls are IIA and that the contractors like Leone, like Dynology, like McChrystal are operating, then this data becomes very intriguing. 
For one, we can see there are some meaningful peaks in account creation. Between July 3rd through 17th of 2016, which was right before the start of the RNC, which was July 18th through the 21st, where Donald Trump was named the Republican nominee for president which was also when Manafort took over the Trump campaign, which we know was the entry point for Trump's campaign to almost get snagged by the Cambridge Analytica honeypot scheme, part of the plot to create the illusion that Trump was elected not by the American people, but through Russian interference and election meddling. If we look at the troll farm activity during the Charlottesville riots, we see that 190 accounts were created between July 2017 and August 2017 during the run-up to the infamous Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville. Taken together, this might be evidence of coordinated activities aimed at manipulating users' opinions on Twitter with respect to special events. I was there at Charlottesville, observing what at the time I called a deep state operation, which I now recognize as an IIA operation. It's important to know why I went to Charlottesville. I noticed some irregularities surrounding the original Unite the Right event page. I noticed a lot of troll accounts on there from both extreme right and extreme left accounts pushing different narratives. I saw the media pushing a bizarre narrative. Everything was working up for some big crescendo, and I just knew that I had to be there to figure out what was really happening. It has been hijacked by these media outlets, by the Antifa, and now the alt-right agitators. I'm an internet troll. That's all we're here triggering. I want George fucking Soros to send me my check. I'm an outside agitator. This guy, I recognized him. He was at the RNC. He's a he's a organizer for Occupy. The rally's organizer, Jason Kessler, he says he attended Occupy Wall Street events. I'm kind of a free agent. You know, uh, I kind of bounce around. Uh, I got a few uh, friends from every group. I'm kind of on my own. I, I don't know. I, I just want to be able to, I don't want to have these loyalties to one group, you know, so I can do whatever I want to do. Democrats or Republicans, it doesn't matter. You know, as long as the check clears with these people, they will work together. I just wanted to say one quick thing on Charlottesville. I said that this looks like the deep state was involved in it because it looked like it was a huge setup. So much for foreign propaganda and influence, we're actually looking at domestic propaganda and influence to control our elections. If you can make a, a conversation into a two-sided thing instead of a three-sided or four-sided, whoever-sided thing, it becomes much easier to control it, right? If there's two very clearly opposing points of views, black and white, uh, now it's easier to control the narrative because people get locked into one of those points of views or the other. Should we be surprised that this YouTuber seems to know so much, yet skirts the line, somehow avoiding a subject everyone in this video should know about if they are experts on social media manipulation? and influence operations.
effective social media weapons, which can then be deployed to understand how these disinformation campaigns work. This particular troll operation was underway. What I think you're talking about is information operations. Sebastian Bay works for the NATO Strategic Communications Center of Excellence. NATO is fully aware of the destructive nature of social media manipulation. We have a team of investigators, and these are people who come from everything from the intelligence community to law enforcement. If the bad actor and the good actor are... Oh, you get to change the battlefield at any point you want. Exactly. Military is aware that this is a big deal. They know it's a big deal, and it's hard to win a war without a map. I don't know if it's ever been done. That's pretty good, dude. (laughs) Sorry, but that looks way too much like IIA conducted by a public affairs officer as part of an information operation. For the past 15 years, I have been a federal employee, um, specifically something called a Department of Defense civil servant. It's because I'm not a journalist, I'm not a politician, I'm a rocket engineer. We, the men and women of the Army Test Evaluation Command, have been tasked with the job of protecting soldiers by testing their equipment. Wait, what? This is getting ridiculous. So, let's look at the IIA picture here. On one hand, we have the left, which is pushing the Black Lives Matter narrative that there's a major problem with police racially targeting African-American men and killing them. Protesters turned out in droves, many for the first time to call for change in a system they say discriminates against black Americans. Then we have the Blue Lives Matter on the right, pushed by conservatives, where We're beefing up and trying to get more funding and resources to the police. With violence against police officers on the rise, a growing number of states are passing so-called Blue Lives Matter laws to classify violence against officers as a hate crime. In IIA, it's important to have a false dichotomy. False dichotomy is also known as false bifurcation or the either-or fallacy. Basically what this is, is claiming that there are only two options when in fact there are more. So that both sides are fighting against against each other, and neither side is actually putting forward a valid solution. A protest in support of police was met by counter-protesters angered by incidents of police violence. As they marched towards the 6-8 precinct in Bay Ridge, the two sides clashed. When you make it all about race, or you make it all about just blindly supporting the police in everything they do, you're excluding important conversations that need to be had to protect Americans' rights and civil liberties. The left and the right coming together to talk about police brutality and people having their rights violated as a whole. And in excluding those discussions, you're allowing for the establishment bulking up and beefing up the police while using technological advancements in algorithms and AI to further control the American population. They are now even saying, and they have articles written on this, about how we need to move towards having algorithms make decisions whether or not someone gets released on bond or risk assessments, whether or not a police officer should use deadly force or should be concerned about their safety based on these algorithms. They're saying that this is the solution to the racial bias that these police officers are inflicting on people. This is their Hegelian dialectic, so to speak. Some departments are also considering drone surveillance and body cameras equipped with facial recognition technology. This video from the maker of an AI-powered body cam demonstrates how the technology could be used to find a missing child. Not shown, how they could use it to track suspects. 
Meanwhile, cities across the country have embraced a predictive policing approach that focuses not on high-risk people, but on high-risk places, putting entire neighborhoods under watch. Problem, reaction, solution. The solution being technology in policing, which should scare us all. RoboCop. He is OCP's newest soldier in their revolutionary crime management program. Robo, excuse me, Robo. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? Stay out of trouble. What is NISPOM and how does it relate to ClearForce? NISPOM is kind of like the OSHA of companies with clearances, right? So if you have an employee who has a government clearance like secret, top secret, NISPOM regulates what's involved with that to try to maintain security with it. After 2013 Snowden, Dynology decided, hey, let's build the ClearForce app, and they started working on the ClearForce application to create predictive behavioral models so that they could scrape social media like Intrepid does and such. Social media scraping, collect all the information on people, then they tie that in with their financials, their medical, all of these things. They create these predictive behavioral models for them. In a very predictive way, the 1950s sci-fi story by Philip K. Dick, The Minority Report, has come to life in our time. Police departments have already been using it. In what are called heat lists, predictive programs designed to use risk assessment in predetermining whether or not a crime is going to occur and or who is likely to commit it. Like the dystopian artificial intelligence law enforcement referred to in Shadowgate 1. The scary thing here is, is that they've done overviews and studies of the system and they've found that Oftentimes, there are people that get flagged as high risk when they themselves have never even had a criminal record. Police in Santa Cruz, California are getting closer to the sci-fi future using this algorithm, a complicated math equation similar to the one that predicts earthquake aftershocks to predict crime. If you can imagine the Atlantic Council working with Facebook to put you in Facebook jail, then it's not a stretch to imagine that Clearforce could work with the police to put you in real jail. So they modified the NISPOM requirements in late 2016, requiring the same predictive behavioral requirements, the Clearforce application, which was now at that point launched as Clearforce Company, offers. The NISPOM comes out and announces these are new requirements for NISPOM. And then two weeks later, General Jones comes out with his new company and, and Michael Hayden, Obama's CIA director, come out with this new company saying, oh, hey, we've got the solution for you here. We can help you meet this compliance for a nominal fee of $1,500 a person per month. Clearforce is a technology company with a mission to create safe and secure work environments for organizations through early discovery, automation, and compliant actioning of risk. What they do is they create these predictive behavioral models to determine if you're likely to steal or leak before you've ever even stolen or leaked. And this same capability is available to any business out there that wants it. The opportunity to proactively identify employees that may under various types of stress, whether it's health, financial, arrest records, social media use, all these things, and not just say, well, we, we can't do anything about that because that was outside of work, or we shouldn't do anything about that because we don't want to get involved in someone's personal relationship with their boyfriend. Um, I, I think that's um, probably not a wise 
move. So if they can use predictive program risk assessments against individuals, would they be brazen enough to use it against a sitting president? With the new NISPOM requirements in place, conveniently with Clearforce determining who should and shouldn't get a clearance or government contract, with the Smith-Munt Act modifications along with the Foreign Propaganda Act in place, allowing for domestic propaganda masked through misattribution as foreign propaganda, one thing was needed to take out a sitting president. Oversight to make sure nobody was watching. September 30th, 2016. Obama knows that within 30 days, if the NSA can't fix the overcollection problem by either dumping data or justifying having it, the FISA court will order the IG of the NSA to investigate. So what does Obama do? He writes an executive order that makes the IG of the NSA a presidential appointment rather than an appointment by the director of the NSA. November 30th, 2016, Obama nominates Robert Storch, who was working as deputy IG of the DOJ under Horowitz at the same time. I'm Rob Storch, and I'm honored to serve as the Inspector General at the National Security Agency. During the transition period from the Obama administration into the Trump administration. These last few changes during the 2016 election are what facilitated the leaks of classified information, including the contents of telephone calls between heads of state and laid out the path for the impeachment of President Donald Trump. Let's talk about Spirit of America. Why does their website literally look like a yearbook of all of the never-Trumpers and the people that have been plotting the coup against President Trump? It does. General Stanley McChrystal is the spirit of America. I mean, Spirit of America is a veterans-based nonprofit running ads, running commercials and such in Iraq. Are there a lot of veteran expats moving to Iraq right now? I don't think so. So they're using these organizations. If you're a legitimate veterans nonprofit operating overseas, now you're going to be looked at potentially as a spy organization or something. If we take a closer look at Spirit of America, besides being a who's who of those who would benefit from overthrowing the president through an elaborate coup d'etat, we can see that Tory Mahoney, a different Tory, is the special assistant to the CEO who plans, manages, and executes the CEO's schedule and provides research and planning support to special projects and strategic initiatives. In addition to her political fundraising experience, Tory was a field director for Senator Portman's record-breaking 2016 election campaign. Wow, what a coincidence. Portman just so happens to be the senator for my district. What's this? She also happens to be the scheduler for the House of Representatives during the same period Dynology had the government contract for the Congressional Knowledge Management System. These official documents suggest the Congressional Knowledge Management System, outsourced to a private contractor, is hosted, managed, and stored in servers in Germany. This is very disturbing. 
She is literally connected to everyone I likely pissed off in Shadowgate 1 and in a position to... But I'm not going to go there. Notice both the Rhino Republicans and Deep State Democrats are still pushing the Russia meddling in our election narrative. Who benefits from this? NATO and those who profited from staging a civil war in Ukraine. President Trump turned his attention to the leadership at the Pentagon. He says many top military leaders don't support him because he wants to get the U.S. out of wars while they want to keep waging war, mainly to satisfy defense contractors. Biden shipped away our jobs, threw open our borders, and sent our youth to fight in these crazy endless wars. And it's one of the reasons the military, I'm not saying the military is in love with me, the soldiers are. The top people in the Pentagon probably aren't because they want to do nothing but fight wars so that all of those wonderful companies that make the bombs and make the planes and make everything else stay happy. I didn't vote for any of these people pushing their idea of America overseas, right? I voted for President Trump, and if he says, okay, this is the message we want out, then I'm okay with that. But that's not what's happening here. What's happening here is you have these people that hate President Trump because they're trying to make money from the Department of Defense, and he's like trying to cut their their access to the money he wants to pay to put it more into our troops and such you have this war between them they're constantly attacking them they've got biden lined up for 2020 to be able to get their little game going again maybe biden's campaign ads should just say sponsored by the military industrial complex beautiful right (laughs) i mean because that's that's who they want right that's their guy I'm Joe Biden, and I approve this message. You believe that uh, Vice President Joe Biden would be a more effective commander-in-chief over the next four years? Joe, I do. I think that he would surround himself with an effective team of good people. Now with Cindy McCain, widow of Senator John McCain. Last night she became the latest prominent Republican to endorse Joe Biden for president. I want a president who has my back. I've always been on the opposite side of John McCain. No, I was not a fan of John McCain because he wanted the endless wars, and I didn't. I thought that the way the vets were taken care of, our great vets, was not good, not appropriate. And of course, he took the fake dirty dossier and gave it over to the FBI. The Republicans, through John McCain and his associates, disseminated the fake Russian dossier. It wasn't until the dossier appears on the scene that they were able to go and get a warrant. They point their fingers at the Democrats for colluding with the Russians. The dossier was prepared by a man named Christopher Steele, who was hired by Fusion GPS that was being paid by the Democratic Party and the Clinton campaign to do opposition research against candidate Trump. Meanwhile, the Democrats pushed the narrative that the Russians hacked the DNC. The FBI learned in July of 2016 that the Trump campaign appeared to have advanced knowledge of Russia's plans to release, quote, thousands of emails, end quote, to harm Hillary Clinton and help Trump. The FBI learned this one week after WikiLeaks published 20,000 emails that Russia had stolen from the Democratic National Committee's hacked computers. 
and that Paul Manafort, who just so happens to be John McCain's former campaign manager, gave social media data to the Russians to help Trump win the 2016 election. None of the Mueller report's findings of criminal charges rely on the Steele dossier. None of them. The so-called Russian dossier was part of a cover story hiding the fact that the NSA overcollection problem was being used to spy on the Trump campaign candidate and now President Donald Trump, all the way up until March 15, 2020. The alleged impeachment whistleblower was actually a wiretap, hence supersonic hearing capabilities. Eric Sierra was a decoy to hide the fact that the president was being wiretapped through a 702 data overcollection problem connected to the Sunset Clause, collection problem that the NSA Inspector General Robert Storch oversaw. None of this was ever supposed to be found out, but Trump won. Now with an administration in a position to piece this whole thing together. Which is why President Trump allowed the Sunset Clause of the Patriot Act, which legalized and enabled the FISA 702 collection of everyone's data, to expire on March 15, 2020. But not before he declared a state of emergency on March 13, 2020, where his people had access for 72 hours to all the data including the communications of those who were plotting a coup against him. Oops. The military-industrial complex, which has been running both Republican and Democrat Party campaigns, used hacks as cover for removing and replacing memorandums of understanding, backdoor deals, blackmail, election meddling software, emails, etc., from the RNC and DNC servers. This all came to a head in 2016 when an unexpected mirroring of the DNC server created a situation where domestic meddling in elections could be found out. So non-attribution and misattribution had to be used to make it look like the Russians not only hacked the DNC and RNC servers, but leaked that information to WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign to falsely claim Trump was colluding with the Russians to win the 2016 election. But when the Trump campaign turned down the honeypot trap offer from Cambridge Analytica for social media influence operations, which was a setup to make it look like the social media data used by Cambridge Analytica came from the Russians, the shadow government's plot to create a scenario for impeachment of President Trump failed. <laughs> So when President Trump spoke with the newly elected president of Ukraine, all hell broke loose. The Atlantic Council, Spirit of America, Joe Biden, the Inspector General of the NSA, people at the State Department, USAID, Jones Group International, a handful of retired generals, and their affiliated companies were in serious trouble. So the second attempt to impeach the president was kicked off, but it failed too. 
Though culpable, the FBI is low-hanging fruit, and James Comey is a fall guy. If we continue down this cover story narrative, then no one will ever be held accountable. We are here again today as part of the chairman's examination of Crossfire Hurricane, the FBI's Russia investigation. Crossfire Hurricane? More like Hurricane Electric being one of the server networks in Germany, inside the European Union, used for this elaborate scheme. What uh, Millie had shown in her documentary with Patrick and uh, Tori was really a, uh, a first-class body of evidence that the President of the United States should assign a special team of prosecutors, a special inspector general to investigate and prosecute because this really is the, the uh, you know, the, the weak point where the whole house of cards of the deep state and Brennan and Obama and Holder and all of these people could come tumbling down over. You know, the only person we haven't brought up yet in this Shadowgate series is General Flynn. We have so many uh, capabilities within the coalition, particularly our human intelligence collection, I think is, uh, is actually, uh, it's, it's, it's one of the, the, the pieces, the components that helps us out quite a bit. Well, if you're going to talk about General Flynn, we have to talk about Khashoggi. So I reached out to Craig Timberg with uh, Washington Post do the story about technology that about a year later was when uh, Jamal Khashoggi was murdered at the Turkish embassy. I believed he was an IAA asset. To talk about Khashoggi, we also have to talk about Pakistani intelligence, the Awan brothers, Covington Law Firm. In 2016, I got a job at Covington and Berlin in-house security. Our duties were to protect materials, computers, all that stuff. Eric Holder, High Value Intelligence Group. been a part of the uh, deliberations which have established this uh, High Value Interrogation Unit as part of the decisions to close Guantanamo. Brennan, CIA, Black Ops, all of that falls under that category. So how do we fix it? With the awakening. This is a, a wonderful opportunity for other military veterans, other intelligence uh, officials who, who were contractors, and also who work in the agencies to come forth and join the ranks of fellow whistleblowers and fellow American patriots. Turns out Shadowgate is going to be a trilogy. This isn't a game, people, but these people are treating this like a game. And we need to stop this. I hope you are enjoying the Shadowgate series. These films are made possible by you, the viewer. I don't work for any organizations, nor do I work for any news outlets. I am 100% an independent journalist, and I answer to no one except my viewers. If you would like to see more documentaries and exclusive reports, please visit my website, millennialmillie.com. You can support my work by purchasing these exciting new t-shirts, stickers, hats, and posters, or you can simply make a donation. 
You can also support my work by becoming a patron on my Subscribestar. You can find me at Millie Weaver on Subscribestar. Without your support, I cannot continue to provide you cutting-edge exclusive reports, documentaries, and bring you insider information, whistleblower leaks, and information that I am uniquely privileged to. It is so important that I have your support more now than ever. I promise you that I will do my due diligence and give you the real hardcore truth, no matter what it takes. You can follow me on Twitter at Millie underscore Weaver. Subscribe to my YouTube channel, Millennial Millie. Subscribe to my twitch.tv slash Millennial Millie and find me on Facebook as Millie Weaver. The future of real, honest journalism is up to you. Thank you for all of your support. All right. Thank you all, whoever's out there listening, for staying tuned. And I hope that you found Shadowgate 2.0 to be pretty intriguing, um, because it is pretty intriguing. Um, And again, that was from October of 2020. And when you combine Shadowgate, Shadowgate 2.0, and then also 2,000 Mules, um, you start to get a picture of, you know, really the depths that organizations and our own government will go to to influence elections isn't even the right word, um, to manipulate um, to manipulate everybody, uh, manipulate the election themselves um, through illegal means, uh, also via social media, also via the main media. When you see the connections of all of the people that are involved in this um, and their ties to some of these organizations, um, and how they how some of the same people seem to reappear over and over again when they flat out present known lies they know they're lying it's propaganda um in order to convince people or sway people one way or another then this is what we get um we get an incompetent mentally frayed, mentally declining president in the White House, um, if you want to call him that. Pretender-in-chief um, is what I believe Don Arnson usually calls him, and it's so fitting. Uh, the pretender-in-chief that we have, that, you know, this is how it all came about. And then again, keep this in mind that you know, now we know, now it has come out that a lot of this supposed Russian disinformation um, actually came from the Hillary Clinton campaign um, and organizations that were funding her campaign uh, were behind it as well. And from what it looks like, she was fully aware of it. Um, she, you know, Hillary Clinton signed off on it deliberately. 
to mislead and lie to people in order to keep Trump out of the White House back in 2020. And I remember even back then um, saying that, you know, people were literally voting for four years of Trump or eight years of Hillary Clinton. And even Democrats were actually pretty scared of what eight years of Hillary Clinton would look like. Um, And the reason I say that is because I pretty much knew um, if Trump were to win, it would only be for one term. And that would be by design. But I think that there were enough people in our own government and organizations that know what Hillary Clinton is really like, along with how corrupt the Clinton Foundation is. And I think even they were too scared to have her get elected. Because if she did, it would be a guarantee two-term presidency. And I think that scared people more than even Joe Biden in the White House. Because, you know, again, with Joe Biden um, now, we all know he ain't making it for eight years. There's no way. How is how is feeble-minded Joe Biden going to make it for eight years in the White House? He's just not. Um, I'm surprised he's lasted this long, actually. I thought that within a year, he would be unseated. Um, but apparently he's doing, you know, everybody's bidding enough without too much objection or awareness. It's not that he objects to it. I think he's just kind of not even there in the head enough to really grasp uh, what his handlers are telling him to do. Um, Easily manipulated. If there's anybody that's easily manipulated right now in our government, it's Joe Biden. Um, And he has been corrupt from the very beginning. So it doesn't really take a whole lot of manipulation to have him continue being as corrupt as he always was and even up the ante in some cases. Um, So here we are, and I do want to play PSYOPs to steal. I mean, I really, really do. Um, But since PSYOPs to steal is an hour and 24 minutes long, and there is only an hour and three minutes or so, left of the broadcast, um, it'll get cut off. And I don't want to cut off the end of it uh, from the live broadcast for those of you listening live. Of course, the remainder part of it would be included on the show recording, but um, that's not really fair. I want to play it in in its entirety in the live broadcast. Um, So that is what I'm going to plan to do for next week on Wednesday. And so if you are out there listening or you, and you're thinking maybe you'll call in, <laughs> I encourage you to do so, 563-999-3698. Again, that is 563-999-3698. And then you can press number one, and that will raise your hand and lets me know that you would like to join the conversation versus just listening in. Um, 
and I am more than happy to have a conversation. I am also more than happy to go into our extended hour that's part of the recording. Um, And so if we're talking and we're having a good conversation, we can definitely go late. So, but in order to do that, um, you got to call in within the next hour and two minutes now during this live broadcast. Call in 563-999-3698. And then you will be included in that bonus hour. You have to call in during the live broadcast. And then whoever's on during the live broadcast, once the live broadcast ends, we can remain, uh, but you just can't dial in after that. So during that bonus hour, um, you won't be able to dial in on the guest line and talk. You have to already be called in and on the switchboard in order to continue the conversation for the bonus hour. So again, uh, 563-999-3698 is the number to call and then press 1 to let me know that you would like to talk. And so I'm going to refresh my screen here real quick because I do have a couple of clips that I uploaded and um, getting back over to the chat here to see if there's anybody there. I really need to get some of my show featured. When When I first signed up, Blog Talks, you know, chooses an episode for you to feature. And um, that one got a lot of hits because it's on the front page of Blog Talk and stuff, and so it gets more notice. Um, and I am, if the, if I wanted to pay $250 a month, <laughs> my show could be featured all the time, but I'm certainly not going to do that. Um too much money for my blood. Um, so that is the platinum plan that they have that you can be featured all the time. On the gold plan, however, not so much. Um, so I am on the gold plan, which is $100 a month, but I got 50% off discount for six months on a promo. And um, so that's where I'm at. So I'm only paying $10 more a month than the cheapest plan, which is normally $40 and gives you a two-hour live broadcast show versus the $100, which gives you a three-hour live broadcast show um, plus some additional perks. And uh, so it's definitely well worth it for the next six months (laughs) to have my three-hour show like normal. Um, And so I did this refresh and... I want to determine what I'm going to throw on next. Because I'm not a huge fan of talking to myself, guys. <laughs> so if you're out there, keep me keep me company. Um, if not, I'll throw on another clip and, and um, hopefully somebody notices and calls in here. Uh, 563-999-3698. And... Um, I am going to throw on a song. Um, this is called Together We Stand by Duke Chemistry. Yes, I have permission to play it. Um, 
I am friends with one of the band members of Deep Chemistry, and Together We Stand is one of their songs that I really like. And so I play it rather frequently. So I'm going to throw that on right now. And um, while it's playing, call in 563-999-3698. And um, I'm going to decide which of one of the many clips I would like to play next. (laughs) And that for we can talk about. Um, We can talk about latest news and everything, too. Um, All that good stuff. So. I'm going to just play this real quick, and then we will be back here in a few minutes.
All right, everybody, we are back after that little musical interlude. And I'm still hoping that I'll see somebody calling on the switchboard to keep me company here. 563-999-3698. And I did want to play a clip um, from Coleo Noir. I'm sure most of you listeners know that I'm a big fan of his. Uh, Colleen Noir, definitely a Second Amendment advocate, um, attorney, uh, follow him all the time. So Colleen Noir, C-O-L-I-O-N, Noir, N-O-I-R, follow him on YouTube, on Facebook, anywhere you can find him. He always has great stuff to say. And he just did a short interview on Fox with Tucker Carlson yesterday involving the school shooting in Texas. And so it's a pretty short one. It's only four minutes, 30 seconds long. So I'm going to kick that off and play that since it has to do with such a recent tragic event. Um, Did, of course, I mean, immediately afterwards, I was just waiting for the anti-gunners to come along and start pushing their anti-gun politics into it, including Biden himself. Um, Of course, he couldn't resist the opportunity to push an anti-gun agenda. And so I'm going to play this, and then uh, we can talk a little bit more about it. Hopefully, one of y'all will call in, 563-999-3698. So we will be right back. But uh, if you find Colio Noir on YouTube, you can definitely watch the interview, or if you watch Tucker, you can find it as well. Uh, so this is from Tucker Carlson last night um, regarding the Texas school shooting. The New York Times sent out a tweet within moments of these children being murdered, blaming the NRA for it. Um, is there any evidence that the shooter was an NRA board member? Is the NRA related to this? What is this? Um, it's, it's the typical um, they take tragedies and they politicize them, and, and it's ridiculous at this point. But the one thing I want to point out is that notwithstanding, notwithstanding all of the, the political nonsense and all the politician, po- politicians on, on that side pushing for gun control and so forth and so on, you know, there's a wide swath of people in the middle who are literally, their only goal is to keep our kids safe. That's it. Yes. That's our only goal. Yes. And some of us differ. You know, some of us differ in terms of, you know, um, how we go about doing that. That's really what the conversation is about. But by and large, we don't really get to have these conversations because our political leaders instead are playing political games with each other. So we never really get to have those conversations. And at this point, we've been dealing with school shootings for quite some time now. And I think it's time for us to have, like, an actual conversation and understand that at the end of the day, anybody who decides that they want to do something like this should immediately know that attacking a school is a death sentence for them. It shouldn't even be an option in their mind because our schools are so hardened. I can only imagine if Joe Biden had younger kids and they went to a certain school. You know how hard it would be to attack that school? These kids are the most precious things we have. So not putting them in a position where they're the most protected as well is kind of odd to me. And I think the reason why it even hasn't happened at this point is because the leaders who are supposed to be having this conversation on a national level aren't having it. They're politicizing everything. And all we want to do is keep people safe. So do, do you expect that rather than, because this is the pattern we've seen time and again, 
rather than address the details of this specific shooting, did we know this person posed a threat? Who failed to address that threat? Why was this person mentally ill? Et cetera, et cetera. Useful facts from which we could learn to prevent future mass shootings that you'll immediately see, perhaps in the president's remarks tonight, a push to reintroduce pre-existing plans to disarm everybody else but the shooter. I mean, look, <laughs> as, far, as far as I'm concerned, making people helpless is never going to help them. Yeah. It's, it's never going to work. However, we have these politicians who they immediately will go to the same talking points and rhetorics, and that's because they, they like to oversimplify problems so that they can talk over people and get people to do their bidding as a means to gain more power. They take advantage of these situations, and it's yeah. disgusting if you ask me. And so all we're saying here, at least in the gun community side of things, is we don't carry firearms just because they're fun, just because we want to seem like we're one way or the other. We carry firearms because we want to protect lives. That's the whole point. But what they end up doing is they start, they, what they do best is vilify us and then honestly try to make situations like this apply to the 100 million gun owners that we have in this country. And that's just unfair. Right. And we did see a week ago the President of the United States use a tragedy in Buffalo to lecture everyone who didn't vote for him that they were somehow immoral and criminals rather than addressing what actually happened. And, I just, and that's really kind of the last thing the country needs. Is more of that, well, I mean, more division from the president? Well, but then, but then they also know that the things that they're proposing on the merits, you really systematically sit down and break them down, they don't work. It's mm -hmm. like, like gun control doesn't work as in just a talking point. We understand they don't work because they've been trying to push it for decades, and yet we still are sitting here having this conversation. Yeah. And they don't want to have the real conversation because they know on the merits, we are right when it comes to the idea of protecting and saving lives. Well, there already is gun control, of course, and as far as I understand, this kid was in violation, the killer was in violation of Texas gun law. But, of course, the fact there was a law didn't stop this, so. You know, we talk a lot about empowerment in this country, except for when it comes to the Second Amendment. However, I can't think of anything more empowering than having the most effective tool to protect you and your family. So help me spread this message by liking and sharing this video with everyone you know. And don't forget to subscribe and leave a comment, because the Second Amendment, when it said militia, it wasn't talking about the government. It was talking about you. Also, if you want to know where to find the I'm the Militia shirt and merchandise, click the I'm the Militia link in the description section of this video. And don't forget to subscribe to the channel. And most importantly, make sure you hit that bell symbol. So, yeah, lots of really good points. I mean, and I personally... Um, you know, I'm, I'm sickened because, of course, both the right and the left are going to, you know, come together in unity and support red flag laws. Um, there's already legislation in the works. Um, well, there has been national legislation in the works, but now this gives the support for it a boost from both sides for red flag laws, a national red flag law law um which is absolutely the last thing that we we need nor or should even want um why should we allow the federal government to circumvent our constitutional rights just because somebody puts in an allegation that you might be a threat, might be a threat, maybe. 
Just an accusation. You don't have to threaten anyone. You don't have to break any kind of law. Nothing. All you got to do is have a family member, close friend, neighbor, somebody close to you, somebody living in your household, like a tenant or a roommate, any number of those people. All they got to do is make an accusation. They can make it up if they want and get a nice liberal judge to sign off on it. Of course, it depends on the judge. Some judges are going to be highly critical of it and not just willy-nilly grant grant it. But other judges are going to freely do so because they support this. If if it's an anti-gun judge that has the opportunity to take the gun away from somebody, one of us, because of a mere accusation, no probable cause, nothing, no due process, nothing. That's all it takes. And they can have their, they can issue a warrant for the police to come and take your firearms from you for up to a year, at least a year. And when that year is up, we might not even get your guns back then. Because all they got to do is convince the same judge, oh, you're still, a har- you're still a potential threat, and it can be renewed. So quite literally, taking your guns away. Whatever happened to all the, far, all the lefties out there that kept saying, nobody's coming after your guns. You're crazy. Stop that rhetoric. Nobody's coming after your guns. We just want common sense. Gun control laws. That's all we want. That doesn't sound so bad, does it? Well, here we are, folks. We are supporting literally taking guns away from law-abiding citizens that have not done a damn thing wrong. And Republicans are behind it, too. And yes, you Trump lovers out there, I know there's a lot of you. And I know that there are a lot of things that Trump did right. I'm not going to deny that. But the one, the very top one, number one reason why I did not and would not and will not ever vote for Trump is because he is the one that literally said, take the guns away first and deal with due process later. Out of his damn mouth, you guys. So if you're a Trump supporter, don't selectively forget that he is not the Second Amendment rights person that you have been led to believe. Don't fall for it for a minute. And it's absolutely sickening to me how we can have very, very adamant Second Amendment rights advocates out there that also literally support Trump no matter what. You could not be, you know, you can't support somebody that does it. If you make an exception, if you are willing to make an exception for our Second Amendment, our Second, then you agree with Biden. 
I don't care who you are. You can be the biggest Trump fan there ever walked the earth. But if you support any kind of gun control law, especially red flag laws, then you are like Biden. Biden has said over and over again that our Second Amendment is not absolute. He's a flat-out liar when he says that at the time that the Second Amendment was ratified, people could not own cannons and certain kinds of weapons. Bullshit. Bullshit, you guys. Total, total, utter lies. You absolutely could. How do you think we won the war against Britain? Because we could buy cannons and we could fight back. You know, we, you could own a cannon. You could own whatever kind of firearm you wanted. It didn't matter. How do you think we, we would have never been able to defeat the British if we were not able to have the same kinds of weapons that the British Army had to use against us? We had cannons. We were able to own cannons. And we were able to fire them off at British ships and sink them. Uh, we, we were able to have the exact same kinds of ammo, the exact same kinds of guns, the exact same kinds of cannons, whatever it was. That is why the Second Amendment was put there. And for Biden to literally sit there over and over again and flat out lie to everybody saying, oh, the Second Amendment isn't absolute, never has been. Well, exactly what does shall not be infringed mean, you guys? It says shall not be infringed. That sounds pretty absolute to me. And it should sound pretty absolute to everybody else. All of these gun control laws that are on the books from federal to state are unconstitutional. There is no constitutional law out there that limits how much ammo you can have, how much, how many rounds a gun can hold, the length of a barrel, none of it. There's no laws that are constitutional in that regard. None. Zero. Sorry. Laws requiring background check, unconstitutional. Sorry. It just is. You might support background checks. Absolutely, because that sounds like reasonable gun control, right? Reasonable laws by having a background check, right? Well, no, because it's reasonable does not mean that it's constitutional, folks. And if you want to support this shit, then you need to gather up the support to make a new constitutional amendment that negates our Second Amendment. You have to literally undo the Second Amendment by presenting a new amendment that gives the federal government the authority to implement laws that restrict our right to own firearms. Otherwise, the Constitution, our Second Amendment still stands. Nothing has changed it. There is uh, the only way to undo an amendment to our Constitution is by making a new one. And in all this time, and in all this griping, and all this fighting, and all this, all these mass shootings, and all these, all these pushes for ooh, get liability insurance. Ooh, yeah, that sounds reasonable. 
ooh, yeah, we need to make sure that everybody is licensed and registered. Yeah, sure. That sounds reasonable, right? No, it's not. Reasonable does not mean constitutional. And just because Supreme Courts have ruled otherwise does not mean that it actually is constitutional. Just like any other politician, just like a congressman, just like a senator, just like a president or a vice president or anybody else that's elected can be corruptible. Sure as shit, Supreme Court justices can, especially when they are appointed and not elected. When they are appointed, they're in there for good. You better be pretty damn sure about who you voted for president because if that pre- when that president puts in a Supreme Court justice, you're stuck with that justice. You're stuck with them. And that will influence what they consider constitutional. If you have tyrants sitting on the bench, then guess what? You get tyranny. Our checks and balances here are at stake. When all three branches of our government are riddled with corruption and riddled with tyrants, this is what you get. What we're seeing now is what you get. And it's only going to get worse. We all know it. We all know it's going to get worse. And it seems like even libertarians out there, even there's some libertarians that are getting on board with this shit. Red flag laws, reasonable gun control, background checks. Because, they, because they're too cowardly to fight against it. No, none of this is lawful. None of it. If you want it, gain the support for a new constitutional amendment. That's the only way to do it. Otherwise, every single law, every damn one of them, needs to be revoked, needs to be deemed unconstitutional. And it needs to be done... We, you know, as a matter of fact, we need a new amendment that says we, the people, have the right to overthrow a Supreme Court justice that's been appointed by a president. And it doesn't matter how long they've been on the bench for. We, the people, should have the right to unseat an appointed Supreme Court justice. But when those Supreme Court justices have to answer to the people, maybe, just maybe, they won't be able to be such tyrants. Maybe, just maybe, they won't be part of the problem. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that might help. And it looks like we do have a caller. Woohoo! <laughs> I'm looking up right now to see if I recognize the number, which I'm pretty sure I do, but just making sure. It looks like it might be Mr. Pianki on the line. So I'm going to go ahead and bring him in. Yeah, hello, Lucy. How are you? Hey, Bianchi. Glad to see you show up here in the switchboard. I was on another screen, so I don't know how long you were holding for, but um, or how much of my rant that you just heard. <laughs> well, you know, here's the thing, too, Gloria. States don't have to listen to the federal government. And people should realize that. The state, the federal government come up with something that they consider unconstitutional to them. They tell them to go to hell. 
people in states like Missouri, Louisiana, they should put that weapon on their side and wear it. One thing, you got the rights to. Second, people will become more accustomed to sin. And spot on. You look at New York, for instance. New York is the cause of that shooter in Buffalo being able to take as many lives as he did. Because if people in that mall or that store had been armed, well, how anxious do you think he would have been to start shooting at him and they can shoot back? Exactly. And the same thing in Texas. You have close to 175 school districts that allow teachers to carry guns. I don't know about this one, this particular school in this district, but it goes to show that I'm not going to do anything to you when I think that you can return the damage, the hurt back to me. I'm just not going to do it. That's just common sense. That's common sense that even exists in the animal world. I mean, unless they're on a suicide mission. Yeah, (laughs) you would be on a suicide mission. You definitely would not be able to kill 19 kids and two teachers. You wouldn't have enough time for that. You'd You'd be done. You'd be done long before then. Absolutely. Here, this gunner in Buffalo bumping into people saying, oh, excuse me. Well, if he had bumped into me, you wouldn't have been able to say, oh, excuse me. Oh, dead folks don't talk. And, you know, mm-hmm. you got some ratchet stuff going on. Like, for instance, down in Florida where you had this woman, this white woman, somebody broke in her house in the middle of the night. She gets up, and there's the intruder in the house. And, yes, folks, it happened to be a white male. And she asked him, what the heck are you doing in here? He said nothing. And he proceeds to walk toward her. And she fires a shot over his head. He continued to come. So the next Mm -hmm. shot, she leveled down and killed him. But, you know, that's what you would expect. But this, what came after that, is when you had a prosecutor in Orange County, Florida, is going to decide whether or not to level charges against this homeowner who was protecting their lives and their property from an invader. Why in the hell do you need to take this woman through that type of suspense? And she and the prosecutor was liberal, from what I can tell. She's a black female, and you know how I am with using adjectives. I like to use yeah. adjectives. Adjectives describe nouns, so you don't go around guessing all the time. Yeah. Anyway, it's just a, it's a description of the person exactly. You know, like. Yeah, it, it's just a physical trait, and that nothing more, nothing less. But nevertheless. Yeah, I mean, when you are the victim of a home invasion, you're the victim of of somebody breaking into your home or the victim of somebody threatening your life, it's like when you use your firearm in self-defense, then now all of a sudden you got to worry. You know, you got to get a lawyer. You got to do all this stuff to 
defend your own self-defense rights. It's ridiculous. Look at what happened to Kyle Rittenhouse, (laughs) for example. I mean, you have to worry about that. You have to, oh, did you, oh, you fired a warning shot? Oh, that's illegal, you know, or um, you did, you did something, you did something wrong in the process, apparently, you know, you violated some regulation or some stupid law, which there should be no law when it comes to defending yourself. Somebody breaks into your home, they're armed, they're a threat, you're the victim of it, you have absolutely every right to shoot and kill them, no questions asked, really. You know, I mean, of course there's going to be questions, you've got to say what happened, everything, give your statement, but, you know, you should not have to be worried about facing prosecution yourself. You know, as if, as if the victim, you know, I love it when the media calls the person that was invading or the criminal the victim. The yeah. victim was shot by the homeowner. What? The homeowner was a victim, you assholes. <laughs> Not the other way That's around. That's the second side of the media. You know what governors, governors should say, media don't get it right. You're not going to disseminate your message in our state. Go someplace else. It's going to get down to that, Lord. That's what it's going to get down to. If, the, if on the current path, if things don't get straightened out, see, here's the thing. When you see something wrong, you go through the proper procedures. People do. They petition. They march and carry signs, you know. But when they continue to be pushed into a corner and they continue to be kicked and they continue to be snarled at, sooner or later they're going to lash back out. And they're going to lash back out just like any other creature would when they are being oppressed and they're being isolated. They lash back out, and they got a right to do so. Why do you think that a water buffalo has horns? Nature gave that water buffalo horns to protect itself. The same thing with a rhinoceros. The same thing with elephants. Exactly. And unfortunately, you know, we're we do not have horns. (laughs) We have our hands and our brains and we have the ability to make weapons to protect ourselves with. And that includes firearms. And like everybody always forgets, you know, that, okay, you can ban all the fucking guns you want, but people are still going to get a hold of them. It's not gonna. It's not gonna make guns completely absent. They're gonna steal them. Hell, people are breaking into cop cars stealing their shotguns. I mean, what's the statistic? I haven't looked it <laughs> yeah. up, but I remember reading a while ago. There's a. There's thousands of firearms stolen from police officers every year. Yeah. Do you think that's gonna stop? You know, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> or then you have somebody like in Norway. Nor, you mm-hmm. know, dude didn't have a gun. He had a bow and arrow. And he put himself at an elevated position and could quietly fire off arrow after arrow after arrow to kill people with. And nobody knew what the hell was going on or where he was, why there's no sound. At least a gunshot, you hear a sound with a with a bow and arrow. How many of those 
how many of those arrows can you fire off before anybody can even pinpoint where you're located or even know you what's happening? You can fire off fire you. You can yeah, go in a mall I mean, you and could, you can do just as much damage with a bow, with a broadhead arrow as you can with anything else. And i tell you something else. A person with a six-shooter with a fast, uh, with a, a fast a load cylinder, they can fire off as many shots as you probably could with semi-automatic. So that's stuff about these guns. And it's just the Democrats playing their same old bag of tricks once more. And then you got people that's bamboo. If you don't like guns, then stay the hell away from them. Stay in the house. Leave other people alone. And most importantly, and I hope this start catching on, states should tell the federal government to go to hell. Laurie, what are they going to do to us? Federal government don't have no police powers. Did you notice that, exactly. that Biden said that? But what they did you can do is withhold funding, you know, federal funding for this or that and the other, and they can use it as bribes. I mean, that's pretty much the status quo. That's this why governments don't give enough pushback. If they don't have the money, Laurie, how are they going to give it back? First, you got to give it to them before they decide to give you portions of it back. Don't give them the taxes. Why would you give, would you give somebody money that's going to turn around and use the money in a criminal way? No. You that's don't exactly do that. what the income taxes are. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, I and that's even at the state level, though, too. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. But you're it's right. Everywhere. It's everywhere. The people got the power to tell them to go to hell. I'm telling you, believe me. And they don't want to hear it. They can't do jack to you. That's why come Biden said he was going to push for federal, federal police reform police and reform. He didn't say local. You know why? Because they have no control over your local police department. That was authorized by the state constitution for municipalities to be able to create but their own police But they're going to try it. They're going to say, oh, yep. President Biden put in this executive order. It's per Biden's executive order. So now we have to yep. comply. You know, these chumps are going to do it, and it's the Republicans, too, is what I, you know, in my in Yeah, my you're right, it is Republicans. The they Republicans are getting also. behind this. Yes, we need red flag laws. That's so common sense. Red flag laws, that's reasonable. Even the, you and know, you and they're rhinos through and through. You need to have the ability to file lawsuits against the people that, that levy that red flag law. Sue the hell out of them. Sue them for everything they got. That stopped that crap. That's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard in my life. Like people were saying that these folks got mental illness. Well, hell, at one time in this country, the American Psychiatric Society said that homosexuality was a mental illness. Exactly. And it goes on so, and on and on. So if you go by those standards, so then, of course, that would mean that if you're a homosexual, then you, you, that's a mental illness, Ill. which therefore means you're at risk. 
you know, you are at risk if you own a firearm and you should have that taken away. I mean, if you go by those standards. And it's so open-ended because mental illness can be anything, anything. It could be anything. Listen, if you have mental, if you're a homosexual, you have no re- reason to be teaching my kids because you're mentally ill. You know what else is mentally uh, illness too? And it's a list. And I'll, I'll tell you what I do. I'll I, I, I share that list with you on your Facebook when I get back on next Monday. You know what they've done to me. The lady that killed the, the intruder, I said, stand him up and shoot him again. Oh, they're going to they gonna punish me and say, well, you speaking violence. Well, how in the hell are you going to speak violence to somebody that's already dead? Exactly. So, no, mental illness is when you have lingering effects. Like you hear people constantly talking about slavery. That's a mental illness. They got this lingering effect that they continue to throw out there. Something's wrong with them. Something's wrong with their mind. And they need to be not allowed to have access to a whole lot of things, including, more importantly, your children. So anyway, I'm sorry to take up so much time on your show. But just oh, something gosh, no, you can I'm glad. Hear. I'm glad you called in. I was like, is anybody going to call in? <laughs> So, Otherwise, I'll give up another clip, I guess. So I'm not like sitting here talking to myself. You know? <laughs> yeah, you're all good. Some but no, things. we are t- we are totally aligned with this. And I, you know, in my in my rant, I was saying, you know, how even you know Trump supporters, they it's like they're in denial that you know they want to think that that Trump is this pro Second Amendment savior, and no, he absolutely isn't. You know, when when you have a president at the time literally say, take their guns away first and deal with due process later, when that literally comes out of a president's mouth, that came out of Trump's mouth, no, he does not support the Second Amendment then. He supports well, take the guns first, deal with due process later. Then due what process happened, then is not... To- important enough it's more important to take the guns away first due process that's that's secondary bullshit you know anybody that thinks that you're absolutely wrong you know um it's just and that's the that's where we're going with this we're going to start seeing i mean so already 19 states have in effect red flag laws and so that is why this latest shooting is being used as the catalyst to get both Republicans and Democrats to pass federal legislation that's already been in the works, but now it's going to be moved up the priority list to get voted on. You can bet you can bet it, and we're going to see how many Republicans vote on it. And when that happens. Save the article that, you know, save that legislation, save it in your bookmarks Mm -hmm. so that you know every damn Republican that voted for it so that you know to unseat it. Like, don't forget it. Too many times people have short memories and they'll vote for the same fucking people that implement this stuff and then they conveniently forget it. And then they wonder and then they want to blame it on the Democrats. 
And it's like, no, that's misdirected, dude, because the very Republican you voted for voted for this shit, too. You know, (laughs) you know, um, people just don't want don't want to accept the truth. Well, like I said before, in those states, people need to wear those guns. And see, you never hear about the instances where a legally armed citizen saves somebody's life or they were there to dwarf a person who was attempting to do something wrong and they was armed. i tell you something. It's just like when you step in the ring with Mike Tyson. He got gloves on, you got gloves on. He got on boxing shorts. You got on boxing shorts. You got a mouth for teeth protector. He has one. So you feel comfortable enough of a threat to him as he feel comfortable enough of a threat to you. A gun, per, a gunman, an active shooter, don't like to be shot back at, especially when the shots are coming from all over the place. It just don't make sense. I don't care how crazy you are. You got enough sense to know that you don't want to be shot back at. So guess what? Just like just like the death that was coming in to plague the Hebrews, and they put blood around their door. Well, that blood around the door is tantamount to a gun on somebody's hips. And when you see that, you know the possibility that they can do you just as much harm, if not worse, than what you could do to them. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, really, I want to see, you know, I want to see teachers and school administrative officials not only be armed, but regularly trained. Okay, you volunteer to be armed and by volunteering not only get trained in gun safety training but also tactical get some get some people that are you know have some tactical training not just you know your basic safety um but tactical training exactly for a, a, a situation like that you maybe some of these teachers and school administrators team up with their local sheriff's department. There are task force teams that are, that, you know, are, are trained in mass shooting situations, especially ones in schools and how to respond. How about teaming up with them so that you have school officials that not only know how to use a firearm, but know how to use it in that situation, right? Effectively. And, Bring that in. Also, of course, start bringing back in firearms training in school. Bring back the rifle clubs. Let's start training kids like we used to in the past. You know? (laughs) Once upon a time in America, you had 10-year-olds that were trained on how to fire off a shotgun so that they could protect the farm while the parents had to go to town to get lumber or something, you know? 
The yeah, 10 year old kid knew right. how to use a firearm to protect the farm, right? I mean, they didn't, they didn't just leave their kids there defenseless, you know, and even if it's not against robbers, you know, against a bear or whatever. Um, you know, a kid knew how to defend his life and home too, or her life and home too. And so let's start bringing that back. It needs to be normalized. It needs to be, you know what? Yeah, guns are scary. They're meant to be. But they're not as scary when it's normal. It's not as scary when they are respected. It's not as scary when know how to use them safely. It's not as scary to walk in. You know, when you have a room full of people with guns, you know damn well some psychopath is not going to come in to try to shoot the place up because they're going to be dead in an instant, which is exactly what happened. There was a story, well, is it not even a month ago, um, Mm -hmm. where some idiot went to a concealed carry class with a gun and, and was going to try to rob them. And yeah, <laughs> the guy was fired upon. Absolutely, he didn't get very far with his plan because he was dumb enough to try to rob someplace with a concealed carry. It's like they had the whole room after him. You know, I mean, come on now. It's stupid enough to think that, but just imagine if that's the way it was everywhere. There's no, you know, gun-free zones that are easy targets. You know. Well, you're absolutely right. This, this, when I was a kid, we had rifle practice after school. I had a 22 carving bolt action. Had a shoulder strap on. I get my lunch bag. We had brown bag lunches then, and I put the gun over my shoulder, go out the door, and walk to the bus stop. A public bus stop, not a school bus, a public bus stop. Get on the bus, sit down, ride down the King's Highway, transfer to go south over to O'Fallon Technical High School, and I walked and rode the buses with my 22 carbon and probably met some people, classmates, on the way. A black child walking with his gun over his shoulder back then. And that's the way it should be. What's exactly. wrong with that? Nothing wrong with that. It's only when you have these Eddie Ramos that want to cause all these problems. More people need to put that weapon on their hip. And if you got a law against open carry, which you shouldn't have, open carry really is guaranteed by the Constitution, protected, that is, you're protected. It's only concealed carry that's yeah. illegal. Yeah, it says but, keep and bear arms. Keep and bear arms. It, right. doesn't say, it doesn't say, but not out in the open. You have to conceal it. <laughs> you know, I mean. Well, you know what it, you it, can it, do? You put it, stupid. put it on your hip and get one of the little curtains that hang over it. Well, you can't see the metal. You can't see the iron. And, of course, your criminal was going to suspect that that bulge that you got on your hip is not a cell phone underneath that curtain. (laughs) There you go. You know, I saw a funny funny photo slash meme on Facebook, and it was – 
it was a see-through plastic kind of holster. So it's like, so it's a, or, or like, or like a bag or something, you know, um, it was like a see-through bag to carry your firearm in. And so it's like, is that open carry or is that concealed carry? Hmm. Not really concealed, is it? You know, <laughs> but yet it's in a bag, which applies, you know, the law says, you know, blah, 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 if it's concealed and it's in a bag and blah, 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 and people can't see it and it's concealed and la, la, la. So if you don't have your concealed carry permit, um, then that see-through bag kind of skirts that. Yeah, it's in a bag, <laughs> but it's see-through and everybody can see that you're armed. Um, so, and I personally, I don't have a concealed carry, nor do I want one. I really don't want a concealed carry permit. I number one because I don't think I should be have to be required to have one. Um, number two, because to me that is just another form of registration. Because I have to go to my sheriff's office and I got to pay a fifty dollar fee, and now actually it's seventy five here in Oregon. They just raised it. Um, effective, I believe, this last January. So they just raised it to seventy-five dollars to to put in your application for a concealed carry with my county county sheriff. Right then and there, that's an infringement. I should not have to pay seventy-five dollars to get permission from my county sheriff, which therefore means a federal background check. So my ability to be approved is relies upon the federal government to come back and say that it's okay just to be able to conceal carry. And then they're limiting all the places on top of that where you can even carry a concealed carry. They're making it Mm -hmm. more and more and more places, government buildings, public buildings, where not even a concealed carry allows you to bring a firearm. So then what the fuck is the point? You know, <laughs> what's the point of it? And I'll tell you something else. There needs to be more women that get involved with gun gun activities. Like you have bowling, bowling night. You have gun competition night against groups in the league. And they can carry on as far as you want. Competition, regional, statewide. You know, you can have all sorts of fun with this. Family night out, gun target practice at the range, all kinds of things can develop. I get more females involved in shooting. Then get your children involved. See, that's where you get them. When you teach them and bring your child up right, they got a long problem with that. See, you bring your children and teach them the right thing. You teach your children to love the United you teach them children to love. You teach your children the history of this country. Although it's some bad things, but it was societal norms at the time. I can't get in a time machine and go back 500 years and tell the people that what you're doing is wrong. That's their societal norm, and they got a right, had a right, and they did exercise to do that. You think that the founding fathers would have took the time out to add an amendment in the Constitution concerning same-sex marriage? 
at the time? Think. Hell no, they exactly. Well, and then Who in the hell even would think of something like that? Things too. It's there's a there's a misinterpretation that goes on um, all across the board because the language, what things meant at the time of the writing of the Constitution, certain phrases meant com- meant completely different things back then than it does oh, now. Oh yes. You- and the like way you well choose. regulated, well right. regulated. You, know <laughs> you got a very get a different dictionary meaning of that time. Have. You have to get a dictionary of that time and space. You can't go to Webster's in 2022 and try to ascertain what the hell they were talking about back in the 1700s. No, you got to know what those words meant back then in order to get a real just a why and what was going on in their mind. Like the anti-Confederate and the Federalist papers. You need to know them to see. And you know the funny thing about this, too. The Federalists didn't want the Federalists passed the Federalists, the Constitution, without the Bill of Rights. How lucky were we there? They didn't have to do it, Laurie. But they did. Yeah. They came back and well, I think it was twelve and they condensed it down to ten. They passed the Bill of Rights, which protect you from your state. The Constitution protects you from the federal government. Your central government. And the reason why they need a central government are the sense they agree because they felt that if they came upon attack that the state should join in to defend any one state. The many states join in to defend any one state. That was one of the reasons. But other than that, we have 50 different countries. That's the way they should be looked at. They are countries. Just like in the Constitution, it talks about the Indians as being sovereign nations. That's why come Lincoln could not free their slaves. Yep. Oh, and by the way, um, we only have uh, two and a half minutes or so left of the live broadcast. So I'm just going to inject here. If there's anybody out there listening, call in now, 563-999-3698 in the next two minutes, and we can continue to talk um, because the live broadcast will end. And uh, then we can go into the bonus hour. Call in now if you want to be part of the conversation here in the next two minutes, 563-999-3698. Okay, back to our regular programming. (laughs) That's why some blacks have so much much, uh, concentration on presidents because they don't have the numbers to make no changes in no state unless uh, the other side go along with them or they go along with the other side. So what did they do? They looked to the courts and your federal government, which is okay. But see, here's the point. Courts don't make laws. The Supreme Court don't make laws, even though it is the Supreme Court over the lesser courts. It does not make laws. 
And some reason or another, people believe that. It's very cut and clear and dry. It don't matter what the color of the judge if they just follow. They can be pink. They can be green or violet. Male or female. A unicorn. Exactly. But then even, but then kind of like I was saying before too, I'm not sure if you were tuned in then, but I was talking about how I think that there should be an amendment that says we the people can unseat a Supreme Court justice that is appointed by a president. We the people should have the power to unseat a tyrannical Supreme Court justice, especially since they're appointed for life by a president. And so a corrupt and tyrannical president damn sure is going to be putting in a Supreme Court justice that's also tyrannical and corrupt, right? You know, well, um, that's just the way it goes. The so the we the people should have the power to unseat them. Yeah, the Constitution um, says that Supreme Court justice is served under good behavior. And we don't think that they're operating or acting under good behavior yet. Then they should be moved, taken out of there. Fast. Just like school board members, they should be removed, taken out of there. Well, you're going to let them sit there their whole four-year term? Then that child has wasted another four years of their life? You cannot turn back the clock, nor can you stop the clock on a growing child. It just don't work that way. Whatever it is that's impeding that child as they thrive to become the best that they possibly can, it needs to be gotten out of the way, which includes ratchet school board members. Absolutely. And let's talk about mental health. You're talking about the mental health of someone that goes out and shoots somebody with a gun. Well, what about the mental health of these school officials that want to put this illicit sexual material into the hands of elementary school students? Is something wrong with their mental health? Yes, exactly. And like like, uh, I think you had mentioned it, and I had seen it too, about, you know, uh, a parent walked up and presented some of the material that is given to their, well, I think it was her daughter or their child. And she was interrupted by the board because it was inappropriate. And it's like, well, if the if you as the board say it's inappropriate to be able to discuss this in a public forum like this, but yet, you're not going to object to it being given to my kid in school? You know, talk about the hypocrisy there. It's good enough to teach your kids, but it's not good enough to be able to actually present it because it's considered inappropriate in a public forum when you're at a school board meeting. I mean, what? (laughs) Um, This is how ridiculous it is. It absolutely It's sickening. It's absolutely sickening to me what's going on. I am so, so glad that I never had kids and I do not have to raise them in this climate. So very glad. I'm so glad I don't have a grandchild that I'm having to try to relate to right now. I mean, I would be fuming over this kind of stuff. You know, I'm sorry, but porn for third graders is not appropriate. Sorry. You know, I don't care. 
how you want to fluff it up. I don't care how much virtual signaling you want to do. It's not appropriate, plain and simple. Parents have the right to say that. Um, parents have the right to demand that those materials not be presented to their elementary school kids. You know, if Hell, you want to take it up in high school middle. or something, maybe, you know, but little kids do not need to be trained on this stuff. Not at all. Did you, did you know that there was a time when you couldn't order, if you ordered a girly magazine through the mail, the local postmaster would confiscate it? I believe it. You could be I grown. It, which that's wrong, too. You know, but yeah, is it a, an adult ordering it? You know, come on now. But we're talking about kids in school here, you know. Um we're talking about kids being presented with this kind of material at very young ages, very inappropriate ages. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's flat out grooming them. The Department of Education, the school boards, it's all grooming these kids to be over-sexualized, to groom them for Future easy victimhood. That's all. That's what they're doing. And it goes all the way up to the top. These same sickos that are on Epstein's list, you know, and the people that we don't know about, <laughs> um, it goes all the way to the top. There's incentives. If, if, you, if our nation is filled with these sexual exploitative child predators, that participate in this kind of trafficking, then guess what? Of course they're going to want to normalize it. Of course they're going to want to get kids at a younger and younger age, over-sexualize them, get them all confused about themselves and their own sexuality at a very, very young age. It's not about educating them. It's about grooming them grooming them to be easier victims later on. That's what it's about, plain and simple. I beg anybody to try, even try to argue with me on that. <laughs> you know, it just is. And when parents finally well, say enough is enough, then now they're considered domestic terrorists. Get the FBI and DOJ to be investigating parents for showing up at school board meetings objecting to this shit? You're going to consider them domestic terrorists. You better watch them. Stick the feds on them. Spy on them. It ain't none of the feds business any goddamn way. That's local. That's the local concerns business. What the hell is feds coming in to monitor? What's wrong with the local police? Hell, you got somebody there. You got a guard standing there when somebody speaks longer than three minutes to get them off the away from the podium. And that's another thing. How in the heck are you going to limit a taxpayer that's coming to speak on the issues as it applies to the school district, their classroom, their child, and you're going to limit them to three minutes? And then you want to have them banned from the board meetings if they uh, go over that amount of time? And labeling it as being disrespectful or as being disruptive? 
And you know, oh yeah, and it doesn't matter if even during those three minutes they're constantly interrupted by other members. Your three minutes is up, even though we even though we interrupted you for a minute and a half of your three minutes. You know, you should be thrown out because you're over time now. Yeah, that's the way it goes. And parents let this stuff go on. That's how it gets to get it completely out of control. You, it's just like a child. Hell, you let a child keep getting away with lying, then sooner or later it's going to get completely out of control. You got to ring it in. You got to nip it in the bud. Exactly. You know, you're, it's that, then that, you know, pathological liar of a kid is going to grow up to be a pathological liar of an adult and how much you want to bet they're going to be elected as a congressman or something. You're right. They're going to become a politician. <laughs> they need some prerequisites. That's the career path for the psychological, the psychopathic liar. <laughs> you're absolutely get into, right. Get into politics. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's unreal. I mean, it, it, even the Pope, you know, even the Pope, you know, is, is saying that, um, is promoting gun control. The Pope, that's another part of the manipulation, you know, cause they know how religious conservatives tend to be. You know, they tend to be very much Christian. And so to get the Pope to start promoting reasonable gun control laws, right, said sarcastically, um, that's another part of that manipulation. And sorry, but Pope, you don't, you, you are insignificant in this argument. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're completely yeah, you're insignificant. Right. And what about this election in Pennsylvania last week? They still don't have the tally in. What the hell? That's what I heard. Last time I heard it was this week. Oh, yeah, week, there's going to be a recount. Yeah. What the heck is the problem? Why come they can't get these damn counts and tallies you know, it should go out the same night, the same day. It shouldn't be a week, days later or a week later. Oh, yeah, and the reason why is because, uh, you know, the fight is for counting and including the, nor- the by-law invalidated ballots because the ballots either weren't signed with the signature and or dated. And, you know, it's clearly right there in the envelope. It's clearly right there all over the place. Make sure to sign and date your ballot. Make sure to sign and date your ballot. And if you don't, then it's not valid. And so that's where the fight is. They're trying to validate legally invalid ballots. That's part of the fight. They want to make the, they want to turn it around, circumvent the law, and still include them even though they weren't well, signed. No. So, boy, well, oh, boy, that like... could be a lot of fraud. I would love to print up, a, to get a hold of a shit ton of ballots, fill them out, turn them in without a signature. and Oh, yeah, they count. They don't have to be validated at all. 
Yeah, just isn't that, fly you know, over isn't the that nice? and drop them out of airplanes. Exactly. They don't need signatures. They don't need to be verified. They're still valid. Go for it. Well, and then you have here what's going on in Oregon. Um, Clackamas County, Oregon, which is the third largest county in the state. It is in southeast suburbs of Portland going out into rural areas headed out toward Mount Hood. So there's a big mix of voters in that county. Um, and that county used a printer that they've used before uh, several times, but that printer printed out ballots with unreadable barcodes. And the county election person, um, forget her name, she, per, she was, I believe, deliberately not doing anything about it the second it became known and let it kind of keep going on anyway. And so literally right now, our, our elections are not complete yet because we have all of these ballots with barcodes that couldn't be read. And now they are hand copying ballots to new ballots that can be read. So you have people sitting there that are supposed to be duplicating each and every one of those ballots by hand and expected to get it right, right? No potential for fraud there. You know, of course not. Everybody's going to fill in each one of those circles duplicating it 100% correctly, right? Of course not. You know, and so, like, that's my biggest beef. It's like, so how are they doing this? If they're going to have literally people hand doing this, hand copying the ballots that couldn't be read over to new ballots, each and every one of them needs to have their own camera on at all times watching every single box that they fill in every single one of them at all times if the camera malfunctions they stop and they do not resume until that camera's back on again um all that stuff we've got to be able to make sure that each and every single person that is doing this does so correctly and accurately um but then the, the biggest thing is, is that never should have happened to begin with. Um, you know, it, it's, how do you get that wrong? I'm sorry. If you're a professional printer, how the hell do you get that either. wrong? I mean, like, scoop, like screwing a, a lid off a jar. How the hell you can cross thread and get it wrong? I mean, you know, wouldn't well, you Laurie, think that when you get, when you get, hmm your ballots printed okay here we go we got our ballots they're going to be mailed out wouldn't you think there would be somebody somebody along the line in qa would do like a practice ballot to make sure it can be read when you get these batches printed pluck a couple of them out and make sure that they can actually be read as a qa thing before they go out to thousands of people. <laughs> you know? Well, that's like I must say the federal ballot should be separate from state and local. Because we're never going to get it right. These states, these local, these uh, precincts, 
they never going to get it right. They're always going to have some discrepancy, some illogical reason for doing this this way. State and federal ballots should be separate. And besides that, when you got states in areas that let illegal vote, and you got federal candidates on that ballot that the illegals have, you don't think they're going to walk right up the diagonal page and start filling in circles alongside the president, vice president, congressperson, and senator? Hell yeah, they're going to do it. How would you know whose ballot it is? Exactly. And if it's but Laura, I'm getting ready to get off of here. I don't want to keep you up later than you intended to be. Well, it's only 9.15, my time here. So <laughs> it's still, it's still early for you. me. It's still yeah, 9.15. The, my the sun just again. barely set. Exactly. <laughs> it's dark here, and the birds are all roosting. <laughs> That yeah, I know it's getting it's getting uh, your East Coast time right, so it's after midnight, right? No, it's eleven sixteen here. Central. Oh, your Central time. That's that, that's right. Your Central time. But still, you know, I don't want to encroach on your beauty sleep or anything either. Um, but yeah, uh, so tune in on Sunday night and. Um, for Amber Richardson, which I'm sure, you know, this is her third time coming on and she's a talker. So um, I don't think I'll have too many problems with um, her, but, you know, her staying on <laughs> for the duration of most of the show. Uh, but I'm mm-hmm. sure she'd be willing to take some callers and stuff too. Um, so she's, uh, I hope Joe calls in um, and talks with her a little bit again. That'd be fun. Um so hopefully, you know, we'll get some callers in and stuff too. And and uh, she's going to be updating on some of this, you know, Oregon primary election stuff and and um, what's next for her and all that kind of good stuff. So it should be a good show on Sunday. And um, I don't know if you were listening at the beginning for? of the show. Uh, she she was she was one of the GOP uh, governor candidates and. Didn't do as well as I'd hoped that she would have done, but um, so yeah. So her campaign is is pretty much done for governor now, um, but we'll definitely talk for what's next. You know, she's not she's not the type of person that's just gonna like you know sit idly by and not do anything and you know wallow in defeat. She's she's definitely too action oriented for that. So she's she's definitely got lots of stuff up her sleeve, I'm sure. And it, it won't be the last year of Amber Richardson here in Oregon, but um, so yeah, so it'll be good. And um, then uh, I played Shadowgate 2.0 um, at the first half of the show today, and then next Wednesday I will play the third part of the series called Psyops, uh, Psyop the Steel by Millennial Millie. Um, so that was their third documentary involving the 2020 elections. And um, mm-hmm. I think all three of them, in concert with the 2,000 mules, um, when you take all of them into account, it just 
really becomes very telling as far as how deep the corruption really goes in our elections and um, all the manipulation involved in things. And, and so I just uh, think that it's a, it was good timing to play those. And so stay tuned for next Wednesday. It's that one's also about an hour and a half long. And so the first half of the show, I'll be playing PSYOP the Steel, uh, the documentary by Millennial Millie, Millie Weaver. And um, then we can talk again afterwards and stuff like that, especially since, you know, Sunday, it's not going to be, you know, super open to everybody calling in and stuff and playing clips and things. And so um, since I have a guest on and stuff, so um, Wednesday next week will be, a great time to for me to crank out Sigh Up the Steel and then have some more one-on-one discussion like we did tonight. Well, I was listening looking at some of her questions she was being asked in an interview. And the first three or four has to do with climate change. My goodness, you to be the governor. What the hell are you talking about climate change for? But uh, that's the way the media is. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It's like quite, you know, climate change is the next, you know, the next big huge threat we got to do something about right now, or we're all gonna die. Ah! Oh, and monkeypox too. <laughs> and she has some. She she's giving some good answers. I mean, when she said, "Do you believe Joe Biden won the 20? Twenty presidential election, she says no. I mean, that's a damn good answer. <laughs> exactly. Did he legitimately win it? No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> not with all the evidence that's come out. No, I don't think it was legitimate at all. Um, there is way too much money going on to try to ensure that Trump did not get in the White House and uh, and then or get reelected. You know, in 2020, same deal. Um, there was a lot of money put in to make sure that Trump did not get reelected again. And um, it's just, you know, a lot of money <laughs> from everywhere. A lot of complacency, a lot of corruption. Um yeah, and I guess now there's a judge that has declared the Florida law unconstitutional to punish social media companies for here's the kicker, the social media companies for silencing violating the first amendment rights of conservatives. And the judge says, "Well, that's unconstitutional because it <laughs> violates free speech." Mm-hmm. It violates free speech to violate the free speech of others, basically, is is the synopsis of that ruling. <laughs> and it's like, and that's fine, judges. all right? If Facebook Somebody. was literally totally fully private, that'd be one thing. But it's not. It is an arm of the government. The government is literally telling Facebook fact checkers, you know, and social media fact checkers what's true and what's not. It is an arm of the government. And as such, it no longer has the same rights and protections as a private company would, in my opinion. Yeah, you're right. But anyway, I'm going to get off from here. I'm going to catch you on the next time. Because I know there's always going to be plenty to talk about. 
Oh, yeah, for sure. And so probably Saturday night I'll be on the mainstream. We'll probably meet up again there in addition to hopefully Sunday night on my show as well. Laura, you take care of yourself and be safe. You too, my friend. Bless your heart. Thank you for calling in tonight. Always a good time having you on. And okay, have a bye-bye. great night. Get your beauty sleep. <laughs> Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that was good old Pianchi. He's a good guy. Very knowledgeable. Really like him. And since we're into the bonus hour, nobody new can call in, which is kind of a bummer. Um, I should probably wrap up this show pretty soon, too. But how can I resist the opportunity to play another clip, right? I've still got some time left on the recording. It is 9.23. The recording will last for another. Oh, what is that? I can't do the math. <laughs> 37 minutes or whatever. Um, so I am going to go ahead and play one of the latest Dr. Reality, uh, David Champion. Um, so if you, he has moved over to Rumble, used to be on um, YouTube, but YouTube kept screwing with him. So now he posts most of his material on Rumble. So if you go to Rumble, then look up Dave Champion, Dr. Reality. You should be able to find him, subscribe to him. He always does great informational videos. He's a very fact-oriented type of guy. And He has oodles of experience all the way around, um, from firearms to body science to income tax to um, being a walking body of of tattoo art. (laughs) Um, He's a great guy, and he was a previous guest on the show. I'd love to have him back on again. Um, And so this one that I'm going to play, he did five days ago called The Unspoken Truth About the War on Free Speech. And it's about 19 minutes long or so, so I'm going to kick that off right now. And see you on the flip side. Welcome back to the channel. I'd like to talk to you a little bit today about free speech, which, as you're probably aware, is under attack in the United States and has been now for several years. I'd like to begin by sharing a quote from Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin said, Without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom and no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech, which is the right of every man, as far as by it he does not hurt or control the right of another. And this is the only check it ought to suffer and the only bounds it ought to know. Whoever would overthrow the liberty of a nation must begin by subduing the freedom of speech. Close quote. The Dr. Reality Podcast with Dave Champion. I'd like to draw your attention to the fact that Franklin said, Whoever 
would overthrow the liberty of the nation must begin by subduing the freedom of speech. Whoever would overthrow. In other words, Benjamin Franklin was not limiting the discussion about the overthrow of liberty in a nation to government suppression of free speech. He's saying whoever would overthrow. I'd like to share a few more quotes with you concerning freedom of speech. Another quote by Benjamin Franklin is this. If all printers were determined not to print anything till they were sure it would offend nobody, there would be very little printed. And of course, that's one of the big issues in our country today, that there's a certain type of person who, if they are offended or bothered by something, then somebody else in their world, the way they see the world, then someone else has to shut the hell up. Someone else has to lose free speech because they don't feel good about the speech they're hearing. Another quote. If men are to be precluded from offering their sentiments on a matter, which may involve the most serious and alarming consequences that can invite the consideration of mankind, reason is of no use to us. The freedom of speech may be taken away, and dumb and silent we may be led, like sheep, to the slaughter. George Washington. Note that Washington was saying matters that are most serious and have alarming consequences. They should invite the consideration of mankind. And then he says, if that's not possible, if that is suppressed, reason is of no use to us. And this, it is the function of speech to free men from the bondage of irrational fears. That's Lewis Brandish, United States Supreme Court Justice, to free us from irrational fears. I cannot help but think of the dialogues that were suppressed and uh, the many opinions and views of extremely well-credentialed and experienced professionals that were suppressed, that the free speech of those extremely well-credentialed and experienced professionals was suppressed. And of course, make no mistake, when the free speech of Anyone, whether they're the truck driver, the mechanic down the street, the waitress, or the extremely well-credentialed and experienced professional, whenever speech is suppressed, what is really taking place is your ears are being suppressed. Your, your brain is being suppressed because what they're saying, but I don't want that guy's words to be heard. I don't want that guy to speak. What they're saying is that guy might be heard by a million people, and I don't want those million people to hear what he has to say. And you are one of those million people. So in other words, this whole effort of suppressing free speech is really about you and making sure that you are restricted from hearing things the establishment doesn't want you to hear. That's the point that Brandis was trying to make. And this. We are so concerned to flatter the majority that we lose sight of how very often it is necessary in order to preserve freedom for the minority, let alone for the individual, to face that majority down. That was William F. Buckley, Jr. How are you going to face the majority down if when you speak, the majority silences you.
And again, I want to emphasize from Buckley's statement, in order to preserve freedom, we must face the majority down at times. Suppression of free speech is intended to make sure we can't do that. And this, of that freedom of thought and speech, one may say that it is the matrix, the indispensable condition of nearly every other form of freedom. That's Benjamin Cardoza, U.S. Supreme Court Justice. And by Henry Comager, U.S. historian, quote, We cannot have a society half-slave and half-free, nor can we have thought half-slave and half-free. If we create an atmosphere in which men fear to think independently, inquire fearlessly, and express themselves freely, we will, in the end, create the kind of society in which men no longer care to think independently or to inquire fearlessly. And this, the freedom of speech and the freedom of press have not been granted to the people in order that they may say things which please and which are based upon accepted thought, but the right to say the things which displease, the right to say the things which may convey the new and yet unexpected thoughts, the right to say things even though they do a wrong. Samuel Gompers, U.S. labor leader. And that last part is of particular importance, where he says, even though they do a wrong, in other words, something you say is mistaken or perhaps intentionally wrong, you're trying to mislead people, as long as it's not criminal fraud, there is no way to stop people from saying things that are wrong or mistaken without suppressing free speech generally. And the reason is, once you set up a paradigm that says someone is going to decide what can be said and what must be silenced, every evil son of a bitch on the planet will vie to have that power, that position, or to control the men and women who do. Which is pretty much what we've been at for the last handful of years. Oliver Wendell Holmes, U.S. Supreme Court Justice, quote, If there is any principle of the Constitution that more imperatively calls for attachment than any other, it is the principle of free thought. Not free thought for those who agree with us, but freedom for the thought that we hate. And, of course, I think it should stand to reason that uh, free thought is meaningless unless that thought can be expressed to others, which brings us back to free speech. I also want to point out that Wendell Oliver Holmes said that he's speaking of a constitutional principle, not any particular clause or provision. It is a principle enshrined from the earliest times of this nation that must always be considered when viewing the Constitution. And we'll bookend these quotes with another quote from Benjamin Franklin. Freedom of speech is a principal pillar of a free government. When this support is taken away, the constitution of a free society is dissolved, and tyranny is erected on its ruins. You may have noted that not a single one of these luminaries talked about free speech being suppressed specifically or exclusively by government. They didn't 
say that. They spoke of the principle of free speech and how critically important that principle is to a free people, to a free nation. How critically important free speech is to personal liberty and freedom generally. Given the critical importance of free speech, does it matter who is suppressing it? You know, I'm at a complete loss to figure out how certain of my fellow citizens seem to have come to the position that it's absolutely fine to suppress free speech and hell, perhaps even eradicate it, as long as that suppression of free speech isn't done directly by government. If it's done by private entities and nobody can have free speech anymore, that's just hunky-dory with them. I totally don't get that bullshit. As you may be aware, I'm the author of Income Tax Shattering the Mist, uh, which talks about the truth of the income tax, the fact that Congress has never imposed the income tax on the ordinary American. There is a reason, speaking of this is free speech related, there is a reason I self-publish and have since day one. And here's the reason. You may not be aware of this, but it is possible for a private company to completely suppress the message that's contained in a writing, in this case, a book. Let me explain. When I started looking into publishers, one of the things I found is this. The way uh, publishing houses work is the author signs his rights completely over to the publisher. And then the publisher has relationships with it. We're going back a little bit, perhaps even dating this uh, examination of how it works. They have relationships with the bookstores and promotional outlets and PR firms and so forth. So they have this machine they use to put the author's book out into the public domain. However, as I said, the author has to sign over 100% of the rights. The author gets paid for per copy, whatever the agreed upon rate is, but the author loses all rights to the work. The author loses all control over the work. So as I pondered that, knowing that the government would love to silence the truth about the income tax, because sooner or later, it's going to catch fire. But for whatever the reason, these issues can go along just without catching fire. And suddenly the message catches fire. And I have no doubt that the message that's an income tax shattering the mist, the truth that's an income tax shattering the mist, is at some point in history going to catch fire. And the government is terrified of that. So... If you don't want a book, the contents of a book and the book itself to catch fire and have millions of people read it, if you don't want that, what's the best reason or what's the best method to ensure that doesn't happen? Right. Make sure the book is unavailable. So as I pondered what a publisher could do, I imagined this conversation. The head counsel for the publisher gets a call from the chief counsel's office of the IRS. So they're talking attorney to, to attorney. There's attorney-client privilege. And the attorney for the IRS or the attorney for the Treasury Department, tactfully, without coming right out, and you don't want to do an overt threat, right? But tactfully makes it clear to the publisher that if the publisher continues to put income tax shattering the myths out into bookstores and other venues from which it can be acquired, if the publisher continues to do that, Things are not going to go well in a future examination. In other words, the message would be whatever money you think you're going to make off of income tax shattering the miss, whatever money you in fact might make off of income tax shattering the miss, 
when we're done with you, the damage will be many times greater than anything you would have made off that book. Now, it'd be nice to think that a publisher would have integrity, but what are the odds, right? We don't live in a land of integrity. What we live in is a land of corporate profit. So it's very likely that the counsel for the publisher would go in and sit down with the president or the CEO and explain how the call went down and say, there's no way we can stop the IRS from doing this. They are going, if, if they conduct an examination, we can fight them for years and years and years. But in the end, we're going to spend a lot more. We're going to lose a lot more than anything we're going to get on Champions Book Income Tax Shattering the Mess. And the CEO is like very likely to say, because he's got shareholders he has to answer to, right? He can't get in a fight with government over one book. I mean, if the government wanted to suppress their business generally, that's one thing. But one book out of tens of thousands? No. That CEO is almost certainly going to say, bring that book back. And what they mean by that is <clears throat> pull it from all the stores, pull it from all the other places that we put it. So the order goes out. We sent you uh, 23 copies of income tax shattering the mist three months ago. We are now demanding all of those back. And the publishers have the right to do that, to, to tell a bookstore or other outlet, you must return those books to us. The publisher has that right because the publisher owns the rights to the book. So all the books in this scenario, all the books come back to the publisher and the publisher says, okay, we're done, closes that chapter and moves on. What recourse would I have to make sure that I can still get income tax shattering the mist out to the American people? None. Zero. Because the terms of the agreement with the publisher is that the publisher has all the rights. I only get a particular dollar value per copy sold. I no longer own the rights to that book. So when the publisher recalls every single copy, destroys them and says, we're not going to print any more, end of story, that's it. Income tax shattering the miss could never be sold again, could not be sold by me and would not be sold by them. In other words, the thought, the free thought expressed through freedom of speech in the writing of the book and freedom of speech in your ability to read the truth about the income tax, all of that would be gone and it would be a private company that chose to do it. Are you really going to tell me a monumental truth, a monumental piece of government disinformation that constitutes the largest financial crime in the history of the world? It's okay that that's suppressed, that that's silenced, that that message can no longer get out because it was done by a private company. This is the same reason that I self-publish body science as well. Because if this is never going to happen, just for the sake of illustration, uh, let's say there are 334 million people in the United States today, and 334 million people chose to read body science next week, and 334 million people acted on what they found, what they discovered, what they learned in body science. They chose to act on it. The result of that would be the demise of several trillion dollar enterprises. So yes, I'm unwilling to give that to a publisher so that perhaps a publisher can be blackmailed into pulling that. But again, I guess that several gigantic false narratives that I destroy in body science those false narratives having made the American people the most chronically ill society 
in the history of mankind, I guess it's okay if that message doesn't get out because it's suppressed by private companies. The point of all this is, I hope you're better armed to shut down these fools who say it's not censorship. It's totally fine. It's not a big deal because it's not being done by the government. And I haven't even broached the subject, and I'm not going to in this video, broached the subject that the lion's share of the censorship that we've seen over the last several years is driven by the government. It may not actually be done by the government. It may be done by private sector companies, but it's being driven by government. But even in cases where it isn't being driven by government, we still need to value and preserve free speech, the principle of free speech, the exercise of the principle of free speech, and never for a second should we say it's okay if that principle is diminished or destroyed because it's being diminished or destroyed by private companies. Now, if you'd like to get your hands on a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mist or Body Science, and I encourage you to get them both, uh, go over to drreality.news. Simple enough. Click on store, grab the books, put them in the cart. By the way, I'm running a little special right now. If when you're checking out, you enter in the coupon code field, tax honesty, all one word, tax honesty, I will personally autograph and inscribe your copy of Income Tax Shattering the Mist and or body science. All I have to do is put tax honesty in the coupon field. We're good to go. And that helps me to continue to be here for you with these sort of presentations. Thanks. All right, everybody. Um, I, I actually really like that one from him. Um, he really points it out pretty well, but really, where does it state that our First Amendment right to free speech is limited to only when the government tries to suppress it, right? Um, where does it say that? It doesn't. Um, so it's very misleading that our government has promoted the idea that the suppression of free speech is perfectly okay so long as it's not the government that's trying to do it, right? But as we well know, our government can and does suppress free speech all the time. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's uh, it's uncanny. And then, of course, when you have corrupt and tyrannical Supreme Court justices that validate that whole assumption, too, um, just like everything else, like with the Second Amendment, like with due process, um, like qualified immunity, like eminent domain, like all these other things um, that are absolutely unconstitutional. All it takes is corrupt Supreme Court justices that will rule in favor of the tyranny, right? And so, um, therefore, you know, when all three branches of our government are corrupt and operating unconstitutionally and normalizing it, making people think that it's perfectly legit, um, that's where we have the problem. That's where 
people need to rise up and say no more to this. No more, no more, not doing it. Um, and with that, we only have about 14 minutes left. And so I'm thinking a little comic relief, but in reality <laughs> might be in order. Um, so I'm just going to wrap up the show here. I'm going to play uh, J.P. Sears. Should have enough time to fit in one of his latest. Um, let's see. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Um, this one is from the 17th. I haven't been able to play it yet. Uh, the latest BS we expect you to believe. Um, so, yeah, so it's from about a week ago, but still a good one. And it's 5 minutes, 43 seconds, so I should be able to fit that in. So I'm going to go ahead and kick that off as well. So here we go, J.P. Sears, Awaken with J.P. Look them up on YouTube, subscribe. How to get along with, or not um, how to get along with people you disagree with. Um, that one was from before, but also a good one. <laughs> Sorry. Um, let's see, which one was that? The latest BS we expect you to believe. Uh, here we go. And it's, this one's actually not, almost 10 minutes. So uh, I should be able to sneak this one in and then wrap up the show. And hopefully you guys will follow me on Sunday when I have Amber Richardson back on the show for her third appearance on Lucid the Libertarian with Lorianne on Sunday night, 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific. So here we go with J.P. Sears. I'm going to squeeze it in before the recording portion of the bonus hour ends. So here we go. Three, two, one, and launch. Good evening. Tonight we'll be sharing stories with you that will rot your brain and make you more controllable to us and also have you asking yourself, are adults really running the world? Our top story tonight, Dr. Anthony Fauci has come out and said he will resign if President Trump returns to power. However, many on the left are surprised by Fauci's sudden new commitment to recruiting new votes for President Trump. And speaking of leaving the White House, Jen Piseki who has been acting as the White House's Minister of Wise, has given her last press conference as she will be leaving the White House to take a job with MSNBC. The network's talent department is optimistic that the country's least likable and least honest person will be a likable, trustworthy anchor that people will want to tune into. Odds makers have it that her upcoming stay at MSNBC could blow the duration of CNN Plus out of the water by several days. And the White House's new press secretary is Karen Jean-Pierre. She is the first black, openly gay press secretary. Everyone around the world is relieved that the people who run the Biden administration have once again put their focus into accomplishing another powerful virtue signal, rather than putting their focus into running the country. You'll also be further relieved to hear that Brandon's new press secretary is in a domestic partnership with CNN anchor Susan Melvo. With CNN having a direct, intimate relationship with the White House, and now the White House's own ginger devil infiltrating MSNBC, it would otherwise be a worrisome time trying to keep the optics from looking like the Biden administration is directly controlling the media as a propaganda arm. But luckily, with a disinformation governance board recently formed, 
We truly don't care about keeping up those optics anymore. In other news, due to supply chain issues and a baby formula factory being shut down since February due to contamination issues, there's a baby formula shortage happening in the U.S. that's putting many infants in unfortunate danger. But luckily, the always coherent Brandon administration stepped in amidst the shortage and sent baby formula to the Mexico border so that U.S. babies would have a better opportunity to not have any. And in very unrelated news, Bill Gates has made an investment in a company called Biomilk, which will soon be launching a breast milk alternative product. Right as conveniently, there is no competition for it. Chris Justin! I wonder how that happened. Now, Bill Gates has said, It would be tragic if conspiracies about me were keeping people from getting... <laughs> well, we at the media that he helps control, oddly enough, couldn't agree more with him. There is nothing but baseless lies fueling absurd conspiracies around Bill. The reality is, right as True North 2021 points out, Bill Gates is amazing. He launches an artificial breast milk right as formula shortages hit America. He is the largest investor in vaccines, and there is a pandemic. He is the largest owner of farmland in America, and there is a food crisis. Now this is the true reality, and I think we can all agree that the conspiracy theories that point out these exact same things are all false. And as the midterm elections are coming up, Candidate for Arizona Governor Carrie Lake points out, The people who shut your businesses and killed your careers are now asking that you re-elect them so they can keep their jobs. Never forget what they've done to you. That's right, so continue voting blue so we can get more of the same that only gets worse so we can continue building back better. It's just in. In a real democracy, you have what's called election integrity. In a pretend democracy, you are not allowed to question election integrity which oddly enough would ensure election integrity would never get remedied if there was in fact infringement on it. Weird, I know, let's move on. Congressman Madison Cawthorn has proposed a bill that would require the CDC to include abortions in U.S. death rates. But the CDC has pushed back, citing that for the past two years, it has not accurately reported death rates in any demographic. So why should babies be any different? Bernie Sanders looks like this, and Netflix has announced it'll be cracking down on woke employees in a company culture memo. The memo states, If you find it hard to support our content breadth, Netflix may not be the best place for you. The memo also let the blue hair employees know that they may be required to work on projects that they perceive to be harmful and that if they have a hard time accepting the work assignment, they might want to consider working somewhere else. After being pressured by the woke to adopt woke practices, which cost Netflix $50 billion in its market cap, it's hard to imagine why Netflix is reversing its practices. But rest assured, we'll be putting our top journalist on the story to find out why Netflix's decision is rooted in racism. And meanwhile, Kelvin Klein has gone as woke as you can get. I'm sure it'll work out well for them. They've gone from woman to obese woman to woman with beer gut and tits cut off while leaning against bed. And concluding tonight's bullshit we're feeding you, here is second in command, Madam Vice President Diversity giving one of her legendary orations. That is especially true when it comes to the climate crisis, which is why we will work together and continue to work together to address these issues, to tackle these challenges, and to work together as we continue to work operating from the new norms, rules, and agreements 
that we will convene to work together on to galvanize global action. Now, I'm not quite clear. Is she saying we're going to work as individuals? We will work together. Oh, together. But we're going to do what together? Work together. Oh, work together. Well, why didn't you just say so five times? And the beautiful thing about seeing her glance down at a piece of paper that she's reading off of, that means someone actually wrote this speech. And I suspect it was another one of the White House's hires that wasn't based on merit. This just in! White House hires first openly illiterate speechwriter. Well, congratulations to them for getting the job and for making Kamala Harris look as dumb as she is. That's it for tonight's news. We'll see if Fauci keeps on campaigning for Trump and how many hours MSNBC lasts once Paisecki brings her talents there. And if Billy G can continue to coincidentally profit off of human suffering. And in the meantime, we'll continue to work together to build back better in a worse way while telling you it's a much better way. We'll also censor everything to the contrary as we gear up to start throwing our political rivals in prison soon in order to save our democracy. Good night. What's up, my friend? If you are a freedom lover, I'd invite you to check out my full line of freedom merch. I've got all the classics as well as some new additions at my shop, awakenwithjp.com. Look, guys, in a second, I'm going to share with you the top tip on how not to be an idiot. But first, I want to thank the sponsor of today's video, Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. In my opinion, the number one factor that detracts from our quality of life is stress. And there's no question in the world we live in, the news hitting us, relationships, finances, there's no question there's going to be stress in your life. The only question is, what do you do about it? Or even worse, what do you not do about it? Now, I'm all about good nutrition, sleep, and exercise, meditation as ways of reducing stress. And I do those things to the best of my ability, but I'm also very interested in specific biohacks that will noticeably improve my quality of life by reducing my stress. And Magnesium Breakthrough is one of those that I turn to. Well, how do you do that, Magnesium Breakthrough? Here's how it works. Magnesium is a specific nutrient that's been shown to reduce our levels of stress. But the problem with magnesium is a lot of food, even organic food, is depleted in magnesium because soils are depleted from magnesium. And then the other complicating factor is a lot of people would say, well, I take a vitamin mineral supplement. It has magnesium in it. But unfortunately, those supplements only contain one weak form of magnesium, most commonly. But Magnesium Breakthrough contains all seven forms of magnesium that your body needs in order to effectively reduce your stress. Now, without further ado, here's how not to be an idiot. But first, got to understand, smart people who want to reduce their stress do things that will reduce their stress. But idiots, on the other hand, and I've never been guilty of this, who want to reduce their stress oftentimes try to relieve their stress by doing things that makes their stress worse. They'll do things like eating junk food and sugar that gives them a short-term sense of relief, but ultimately adds to their physiological stress. They'll zone out in front of the TV, which increases stress. And they also tend to try to relieve their stress by avoiding the proactive things they know they need to do in life, which ultimately makes them even more stressed. So because you're a human, I know you have stress. And you can respond to your stress by doing things that make you more stressed, or you can choose to do things that make you less stressed. And Magnesium Breakthrough is one of my favorite stress reduction techniques. I just take two capsules in the evening so I can start relieving my stress rather than carrying it and compounding it. If you want to start reducing your stress by taking Magnesium Breakthrough, just go to magnesiumbreakthrough.com JP. And when you're there, use the discount code AWAKEN for a healthy deal.
All right, and here we are. We only got less than two minutes left of this recording. So I uh, thank you, everybody who's listening after the fact. If you find my show and you're listening in your car or something later on and you missed the live broadcast, um, here we are. going to wrap it up here. Tune in for my regular Lucid Libertarian with Lorian show this Sunday. I have special guest Amber Richardson coming back for her third appearance on my show. She was a one of the several GOP candidates for Oregon governor, and um, it is now post-primary elections, and I invited her back to talk about um, how the campaign went, how the election went. There's definitely been some issues to discuss, what's next up for her and what her next plans are. Um, I definitely don't think that she's just going to go cowering away and hide in a hole somewhere. Uh, this girl is way too vocal and way too actual action oriented, uh, to be like that. So we're going to be seeing more of Amber Richardson, I'm sure. Um, so t- stay tuned on Sunday right here on blog talk radio, lucid libertarian with Ann, Sunday night, six to 9 PM Pacific time for the regular show. Also, stay tuned next week for another special episode on Wednesday night, where I will definitely be playing the third installment from Millennial Millie, Millie Weaver, called Psy Up the Steel. And um, then we will continue discussion then, too. So have a great night. Thank you all for tuning in, and be well. <laughs>